Euh, dites donc, Nadej, euh, comment aviez-vous recruté le nouveau si rapidement la dernière fois Bah, LinkedIn. Ah bon, parce que là, j'ai besoin de toute urgence d'un ingénieur en IA. Alors, où est-ce qu'on peut le trouver Bah, LinkedIn. Mais j'ai pas le temps de voir mille candidats, moi. Comment on va faire Bah, LinkedIn. Bah, 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 bah. Vu l'urgence, vous êtes vraiment confiante, Nadej Bah, oui. Avec 8 personnes recrutées par minute sur LinkedIn, pour tous vos recrutements, il y a, bah, LinkedIn. Pour en savoir plus, rendez-vous sur linkedin.com slash je recrute. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that this past weekend actually received a very rare A star 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 plus 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 cinema score, so well done to us. I'm your host Joe Cunningham and joining me are... James Hunt, Reese Williamson, Caroline Cedar, and Ned Baker. We've got the red double guest scenario. It's Caroline <laughs> and Ned. Um, so, uh, Caroline, our listeners will uh, know you well already. You've been on the podcast uh, a lot of times. Um, so, Ned, should we should we start with you? Would you like to introduce yourself and, and maybe talk a little bit about the podcast that um, you and Caroline do together? Sure. So well, I'm a great guests recently on that one. Yeah. So I <laughs> guess maybe my my first and foremost credential is a, being a longtime fan of Cinematic Universe Ooh. since twenty <laughs> something. Uh, very excited to actually be appearing on the show right now, especially for this episode where, as you know, as a fan, I think I'm really uh, thrilled to hear some the suspense has been building for what mm-hmm. the take is going to be here but mm-hmm. to introduce myself um i'm a filmmaker podcaster caroline and i co-host the show called roll calling uh yeah, which we, we did recently we did recently have the uh, highly esteemed joe cunningham on for his james <laughs> bond expertise um and went extremely long with yeah. that podcast but it's a podcast where we pick an actor we love and then we do five episodes discussing movies that that actor has been in. So right now we're in the middle of our Jeffrey Wright series, which started with No Time to Die. We've done James Dean, Jamie Lee Curtis, Christian Bale, Dev Patel, Emily Blunt. That's all of them, I think, right? Yeah, you got them. Great. Okay, so yeah, we talk about movies and actors, and uh, we have a, a grand old time. Yeah, um, it was very fun to be on there talking about James Bond. I did feel a, a, a slight pang of guilt when I looked at the episode the week after mine that was a full hour shorter. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my God, Joe, you, you turned their podcast into yours. Uh, <laughs> cinematic <laughs> Universe style running time. <laughs> there was a whole a whole mind to get into there. We had a lot to cover. So yeah, I mean, I Jeffrey think... Wright has a, such a huge role in that Bond movie. So I can see why you went an hour over. <laughs> He yeah, really it was probably screen time. <laughs> it was at the two hour mark when, you know, after talking about this, that and the other thing for fifty years of film, we're like, so about Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's all right in this anyway, back to He's point. all right, he's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was uh that was really good fun. Um and um yeah, very excited to have both of you with us today, uh, to discuss Chloe Zhao's twenty twenty one release, Eternals. 
Not the Eternals, as we've just been discussing off mic. No definite article in front of this one. Nah, this was news to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But before any of that, I would like to ask James to explain a comic book concept that I just don't understand. Uh, So James, with the brand new information to me that Gael Garcia Bernal has (laughs) has been cast as Werewolf by Night in the Disney Plus 2022 Halloween special, um, (laughs) many questions... Who is mm-hmm. who is Werewolf by Night? Um, what is this special? Is Gael Garcia Bernal <laughs> good casting? And what is Disney Plus anyway? <laughs> well, Joe, I don't know if you if you can imagine this, but imagine if you will a sort of supernatural character who spends the day as a man, but in you know a full moon becomes a sort of wolf man. Ooh. Does that make sense? Ooh. That, that's what a werewolf is. Yeah, okay. I've and were, werewolf by night is a werewolf. Interesting. Okay. That's the whole concept. I don't know I don't know what more I can tell you. Like <laughs> title seems to be gilding the lily a little bit. So there's not there's, there's not any fun <laughs> twists like are. blade where he's no, a day wolf not, or whatever the not really. Like I believe this so this version of Werewolf by Night, there are there are two comics that have had the title there's the sort of classic one from the 70s where the main character was accidentally called jack russell which was apparently not a joke Brilliant. <laughs> yeah um for for what i imagine are obvious reasons they've not gone with that character they've gone with i think what's he called george gomez something um so this version of werewolf by night was created by taboo out of the black eyed peas doing some sort of stunt <laughs> stunt writing for Marvel um, has appeared in literally three comics and <laughs> the closest I can find to a twist on this character is that rather than being bitten by a werewolf he turns into a werewolf because of a family curse mm, like Twilight yeah yeah I imagine I've never is, seen it is this a real thing is there actually a Disney Plus thing <laughs> what's going on I was going to say yeah, what yeah, I love yeah. about coming on this show is that you guys could just be compl- you guys would just make up anything you wanted and say it and I would believe you. You know, you'd be like Julianne Moore is cast as as book woman in a new Hulu streaming show and I'd be like, Great, can't wait to not watch it. Sure. <laughs> I'm a book woman, yes. Yeah, I'm, all I'm... of this news to me, including that Taboo has written any comics. But... Yeah, quite. <laughs> so would he be in the Black Eyed Peas, this werewolf by night? And so will they? what happens if they play a night gig? You know, will can the werewolf... I mean, no, he's, I he's, not in, he's not in the band. <laughs> I guess I am. <laughs> Carla, I'm asking the, you know, the comic expert to tell me about this. this is is Taboo name? Mexican? Because Jake Gomez is Mexican. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. That, that's probably the most interesting thing about this is that it's a sort of Latin American um, lead character, which you know, still quite rare. So, do we th- do we think that this is going to be a wow a, a full Disney Plus series, or is it going to be like a like the Guardians of the Galaxy special that they're doing only for Halloween? It's a it's a Halloween. It's specifically a Halloween special, right? For next year, is it? Yes. Yes. Um, it's possible that. This character, like Werewolf by Night as a character, sort of hangs around the supernatural side of the Marvel Universe. Um, the Jack Russell version, this is. And yeah, I, if I was going to put money on anything, I would say the Jake Gomez incarnation might turn up later in Moon Knight or possibly Blade. That's the sort of area you might see them. 
because they're definitely you know and uh, this is uh, without spoiling anything we, we, we all talk about this in Eternals but they are I think with news like this they are clearly starting to build out that section of the of the MCU right or you know build it almost from scratch and yeah. Blade feels like he's going to be a pretty kind of core piece of that mm-hmm. um, uh, but that you know this is a this is a that's a it's quite a big it's quite big casting you know I know I know the MCU all the casting is pretty relatively pretty big but Gael Garcia Bernal is a is an interesting good actor that you know um this feels like a, this feels like notable casting, whatever whatever that ends up being, and maybe he, you know, again these 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 other actors we're talking about are going to all play around in the same little corner of the of the MCU going forward. Since Universal have it seems basically fumbled the bag with their movie monster cinematic universe, that <laughs> I mean I don't know if we're up on the dark universe that's right (laughs) yeah which honestly i I am a little disappointed that we are probably not going to get that even though all of the people they've tapped for it like the johnny depps and russell crows of the world are not people that i really care to see leading movies the idea of getting a sort of more gothic movie monster cinematic universe is quite fun so seeing as they are currently failing to have any prospect of doing that i can see Disney saying, "Okay, we'll we'll take that. We'll do that with with Blade." Yeah, and it, uh, it seems, do we have a werewolf character? It seems like the new approach <laughs> yes, we do. for Universal is to let Blumhouse make them on the cheap, and that feels mm-hmm. less cinematic. It yeah, probably will make for better individual movies, but it's not Certainly. it's not going to be a monster cinematic universe if if they all have a similar approach to the Invisible Man. Um, but hey, who knows? Maybe maybe this werewolf by night will be crossing over with Morbius sometime soon. Ah, and I have a little—I have a little bit of a tidbit on Taboo, who I looked up. Who is—he <laughs> uh, was born in Los Angeles to Mexican parents, and his name mm. is Jaime Luis Gomez. So while it may not Ooh. be autobiographical, maybe he's a sibling or a cousin of Taboo. <laughs> Whoa. In so the we, werewolf family. Yeah. yeah. Really? I mean, just the idea of if I, Ned Baker, wrote a comic book, and I'm like, what would be a good last name for this guy? <laughs> I mean, Baker's as good as any. It's <laughs> sort of a strange choice. Is not the member of the Black Eyed Peas who looks the closest to a universal monster? <laughs> yeah, I think so. If you're if you're saying I have a uh, if you're picturing a member of the Black Eyed Peas who kind of looks like a Universal Monster and saying is that the one that's taboo? The answer is yes. He's got kind of a strong jaw, pretty serious eyes. Basically, I'm looking at a picture for our first piece of news, which is the Morbius trailer, and I'm thinking that dude looks like the guy who was in the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> yes, the one who had long hair in the Black Eyed yeah. Peas. That's taboo. Okay. I think you should have gone vampire rather than werewolf, but <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the news section. So we got um, we got another trailer for Morbius. Um, not a huge amount of new stuff in there, I guess, other than lots of nods and references to um, this being in the uh, what what are they calling it? The Sony Extended Universe of Marvel characters or something like that. So it was like rolls off, rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Venom references and Michael Keaton showing up again and um, a little bit more Tyrese this time uh, which a, a little bit novel to see Tyrese Gibson showing up in a non Fast and Furious movie these days but there he is um, Caroline, Ned, what's your interest level at for Morbius? 
a movie that is still oh, I haven't seen this trailer. So, but do you do? You, is, <laughs> is a Jared Leto um, superhero doctor vampire in the Sony extended universe of Marvel characters? Is that is that appealing to you? It's coming. It's coming after um, No Way Home. So, I, I hope that means he's not showing up in that. Caroline. I would say my interest level is low, but I like Matt Smith and the trailer. Both trailers have implied he is in at least one shot of this film. So (laughs) that's exciting. I also did actually quite like the joke at the end where he's, what does he say? He's like, I'm Venom. Oh, just kidding. I'm I'm Dr. Morbius. I thought that was actually kind of funny. If there's one thing that's going to sell me on this movie, it's that moment. Okay. I have some investment of the character of Morbius from the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. Mm. You know, his sort of, like, tortured, I want to do good, but... I mean, it's just a vampire. He's just a vampire. He's like, I want to I be good, but I have this bloodlust. Um, and I, I think he works as a also Spider-Man Twilight. villain. Also Twilight. Yeah, it's also Sony it's and Marvel are just rebuilding the mm. Twilight universe. Mm. <laughs> so I would say I have some interest in this character, but this character as a Jared Leto vehicle has very little interest to me. I mean, I may end up seeing it because I tend to see a lot of these things, even the ones that I go in resenting. But um, no, interest yeah, is Welcome low. to the podcast, Ned. You're yep. the company here. <laughs> <laughs> see all this damn shit. Thought I might be. <laughs> That's right. But also, I mean, I don't know if you guys have, like today, the, the um, House of Gucci kind of reviews, reactions have hit in it. Sounds like Jared Leto might win another Oscar this year, right around the time that Morbius comes out. So the Jared Leto stock is all of a sudden spicy hot, spicy, simmering on hot, um, playing a fat Gucci guy with a load of prosthetics on. I have to say, from the totality of his career, I don't even think he's a terrible actor. He seems like someone I would never want to hang out with or meet. (laughs) And I do think that the vibes I'm getting off of Morbius suggest they're they're trying to lean into a certain edgy Jared Leto personality, yeah. which holds no appeal to me. But I, it's not that I think like he can't act well. Mm. So I, I just think he's a terrible ham, and <laughs> that that can be fun. Um, and seeing him in all those prosthetics in the House of Gucci trailer, I'm like, okay. I'm not. I don't resent him being in that movie the way that I do sometimes when he turns up in other stuff. Um, but yeah, Mor- Morbius. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it, it is him that's holding me back. I think from and you know from everything that we've seen from Venom so far, like those are movies that we have enjoyed in spite of themselves. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I trust that same, you know, that same group of people to make a movie where Jared Leto is getting the creative freedom that that Tom Hardy got and that working out well. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, uh, again, as a listener of the show, I tend to agree with Joe's take on Venom that in spite of it being a really like weak-at-the-center movie, that it works because of the Tom Hardy of it all. And uh, I, Tom Hardy has buy-in for me. I know, Caroline, you feel differently. But um, but I'm not excited to see that same type of project with Jared Leto at the center of it. Yeah. Caroline, are you... Or is it just Matt Smith that's going to be getting you there? <laughs> um, that's a yes. <laughs> yeah. 
To be honest, this seems like how I will approach Venom 2, which is probably a movie I'll watch when it's available to rent and have yeah. a fun time watching it at home. I doubt I will be seeking it out unless I am <laughs> paid to review it. <laughs> but I don't... It's, it's as though you didn't hear when Joe did the impression of the Eminem song on the last episode. Because <laughs> that was... That'll get you to the theatre. Um, More of that, Joe, please. More of that. And that has to be in every episode. We're, I'm going to get that clip and I'll just put it at the end of every episode. I'll do the I'll do the whole rap next time. I've been I've been listening to it back cool. a few more times. I've got a few more. Great. Ooh, something to look forward to. Um... <laughs> Okay, so um, let's talk um, about another movie that's, I think, technically in the Sony Extended Universe of Marvel characters, but it's also in the MCU. It is uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, the uh, the latest poster for this film, which is uh, we're about five weeks out from now, was released. Um, we know from the trailers that we're getting uh, Doctor Octopus and the... Uh, poster for this confirmed some some other characters really really subtly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, some the photoshopping of the Green Goblin into the background of this poster was full on <laughs> hilarious. Um, there is <laughs> there is some swirls of sand in the background, and there are lightning bolts. So that's that's Sandman and um, an Electro presumably. Um, and uh, we're not going to talk about the big spoiler for the movie that was on Twitter this week because I didn't read it, so I still don't know what it is. I just know lots of people are upset. What? Yeah, I just know lots of people were upset Ooh. that it was a big spoiler. So I've. Uh, oh God, no! I need. I love. You know how much I love spoilers. I'm going to chase that out after the record. I mean, I need to find out what that is. I have to find out. Oh, you don't even know what it is. No. Oh, great! I don't think so. Oh, Reese, we both did it. We both Ooh. recorded it. I just saw, missed me as well. I just yeah, I don't lost... know what you're talking oh, about. So I guess oh, it, it, it... James definitely knows. Does anyone <laughs> really kept a wrap on it? <laughs> James, do you know what's going on? I, I missed it completely. All I saw was a couple of people saying, "Hey, call it on the spoilers. I want uh, spoilers. I want to see. I want to see stuff in the film, not on Twitter." And I was like, oh, "I don't no. know what you're talking about." <laughs> they must have called it on the spoilers. There was no. yeah, there was uh, th- th- lots of people complaining specifically about the person who had tweeted out a major spoiler. So that's. That's how I was aware of it, but did not read it. Hey, so the problem is, right, given given what trailers and uh, posters they're putting out officially, it's virtually impossible to tell what's actual spoiler content from what is, like, fan-made nonsense. You mean because that, the official poster looks like fan Yeah, if someone had showed me that poster and gone, this was on Twitter, I'd go, well, that's an obvious fake. <laughs> You're so right. I completely agree. The poster is dreadful. <laughs> Yeah. I kind of think, uh, like, the the marketing for this movie, I, d- I mean, who knows what the what the content of it's actually going to be. But that, that trailer, plus the kind of clips and the stills, they released some stills in Empire last month and now, and now this poster. It basically looks like, if I, if I had to guess right now, it's the first 10 minutes, Spider-Man is bummed out that he's Spider-Man. The next 10 minutes, he goes see Doctor Strange and they do a spell. <laughs> the next 10 minutes, it's, ah, oh, no, what's happened? And the final hour and a half of the movie is Spider-Man on a bridge. Because <laughs> <laughs> that bridge is fucking <laughs> everywhere. Because every time I think it's notable by like just how grey and concrete it is. <laughs> like, like, am, I, am I watching Civil War again? What's going on? Like this? I was I was saying to a friend, like, it's a bold decision to release that entire sequence frame by frame in publicity skills. Because <laughs> <laughs> they is just keep going to it. 
is it possible that there is something that happens for the bulk of the movie, like it it becomes animated or something that they just they can't even <laughs> pull any clips from it? It's possible that maybe the other two Spider Men are in are in it so much that they just can't do any other sequences without spoiling it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, my think... feeling is that they're only going to show up for ten minutes at the end. I I but... kind of I I kind of wondered, especially like with the. The Sandman and the Electra. I kind of wonder whether that is literally just right at the end of the movie. That we're that like, will we even like? We know Green Goblin's in this. Do we definitely know that's Willem Dafoe? Yeah, I'm not saying it's one of the other actors, but what I'm saying is, do we think we're going to see his face? I, mm. I think CGI Green Goblin and nothing else. Really? Don't, don't you think that would that will disappoint the fans at this point? You know. Especially when you put him on the poster, in I mean, you can see just about that it is the, it is the sort of Spider-Man one Green Goblin suit and glider. If you're going that far, you, you, you then I think you'll disappoint people if you never if Willem Dafoe if you haven't actually got Willem Dafoe for it. Maybe I, I don't know like that. Willem Dafoe's you know marketing a film a month out of release and wanting to get as many people there as possible, and making the film two years ago, you know. <laughs> Willem, also, Willem yeah. Dafoe hasn't been on screen as the Green Goblin for close to twenty years. Who, like, who really cares? I mean, I would. I mean, I care. Yeah, I would like to. I care. <laughs> <laughs> we care, but we're like pensioners compared to the people who are going. Yeah, to but see, that's that's what I wonder. I wonder whether like, that's hey, two Spider Men ago. The, 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 the last two Spider Man movies are the ones that are going to get the teenagers in, right? Like the fact that it's got yeah. Tom Holland and Zendaya in it. That's enough. It's those old nerds that they mm. want. They're like, "Oh, do you want some Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe? Can we interest you? <laughs> can we interest you in another aging white character actor? Yes, you can. <laughs> Have you got Dylan Baker? Have you got Thomas Hayden Church? Giamatti, Giamatti, give me another old white dude. <laughs> I, want all of well, I think Reese Evans. I think Reese Evans is going to be in it, so that you will have another one. There's oh, one. Shit. Reese Evans is. The lizard, the Reese Evans lizard is the coming out. Yeah. yeah, that's, what, oh, they, that's, that's... what they say on the on the, the scuttlebutt. You know, on that's the great. What if that's the massive spoiler we've all been avoiding? <laughs> that's the least exciting. That's the least exciting pull, honestly, from any previous Spider-Man movie. Um, I would no. rather see Topher Grace come back. You know, I I, I just don't care about the uh, Amazing Spider-Man One lizard. Totally, oh, I like to Topher me. Grace. I, if they brought Topher Grace back, I would be excited. <laughs> Got, well, anything's possible at this point. This poster, so by the way, I did look up the spoilers, uh, and I'm very happy to have done so, but I won't say more than that. Uh, okay. Great, 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 fun, fun, fun. Um, so on this poster, again, you know, Joey, you, you highlighted that it's five weeks away. Do you, okay, if, if we presume that it's it's Maguire and Garfield in the movie, mm-hmm. do do we see that? Is that the final trailer for this movie, or do they hide that still? I'm, I'm, and now I'm not so sure that we get that trailer, but then I, that feels like the selling point of the movie but what do you think what do you guys think i think they can't keep it a surprise like maybe maybe opening day but worst case scenario like screenshots are on twitter minutes after the film is finished yeah yeah Yeah, it's an interesting question of whether or not It, it, it just feels sort of silly to try to mask it when it's what everybody is like sort of dying to know i mean i yeah i don't know if you can use that as a marketing technique to say will they won't they be here Mm. i mean if they're not we'll all be disappointed right yeah Yeah. we're all gonna be like oh we we thought this was the team-up movie and it's not for sure two stars but then but then if they are in it uh... (laughs) (laughs) but they they if that's if that's the case they should be doing a lot more damage control 
or I expectation agree. management than they are. I agree. If they're not in it, it feels like Disney should be coming out and saying because they can tell that you know that's what most of the conversation, you know, most of the hype yeah. seems to be yeah. built around. We're getting back Garfield and Maguire. And it feels like someone would have to come out and say, no, they are not doing that. We love the past Spider-Mans. They have their place in the canon, but that's not happening. So with them not saying that, I feel like they do have to be coming back for at least part of it. Yeah, yeah. they are sort of saying, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know what you've heard, but those guys aren't in it, but in a very unconvincing way. Hmm. I wonder whether the equivalent is, from the MCU point of view, is the equivalent so. the... <laughs> well, I, no, I was going to say the, the final act of, um, of Endgame, right? Mm-hmm. i.e. everybody knows everybody knew that, that the characters were, were coming back yeah. and, and yet still you're not quite you haven't quite been told it in the marketing so when that moment hits in the movie even though you know it's you know it's happening mm-hmm. it's still it lands harder probably because you didn't you didn't get that shot in, yeah. in a trailer that came out two weeks before so so is this the same and therefore do they just you know is the final trailer maybe, maybe the final trailer you see the final shot is the sinister is the sinister six and that's the that's the next reveal that that, that Feige is willing to give you. But then, uh, actually, the Maguire and Garfield of it all, that he, they they save, they just save it, and they they let people. And there will be some people that you know that just get surprised by that in the theater, and then they will have a. a <laughs> there will also be there will also be people who see that in the theater and go, "What? Who? More, more Spider Man? Who's that? Why is he old?" <laughs> well. Difficult for me to fathom, but I suppose those people do exist. The, um... Well, James, when you said two Spider-Men ago, it reminded me, it made me think of like the Abraham Lincoln line, like two score and like well, four score, seven score and two <laughs> wow. Spider-Man ago. Uh, maybe that's, yeah, we're old now and we, we are two Spider-Man ago. Nice yes. reference, man. Don't, thank you. Thank well, you. Thank you, Don't embarrass thank us about the Americans. Oh, yeah, is this just, you just president. pandering to me with Americana. It's okay. You, you don't have to do that. You know I have. Okay, um, let's move on to uh, another bit of MCU news. Um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever was filming, and um, filming has paused because Letitia Wright has sustained injuries whilst filming a stunt on set. Um, so apparently the production is going to go on to hiatus, Um uh, it, it it actually sounds a little bit like Spider-Man 2, this, that, you know, that way back when Tobey Maguire got a back injury, it was nearly bad enough that they replaced him with Jake Gyllenhaal in the sequel, and in the end it it ends up just being like a fun, there's a couple of fun little back jokes in the movie that Sam Raimi throws in there, because he's a, he's a cheeky gem. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, so they've, they've had to suspend production, Um now, I think the notable thing here is that if you are willing to suspend production for injuries sustained by an actor, that actor probably has to be a pretty significant part of the movie. So mm-hmm. do we think do we think Shuri is the de facto lead of Black Panther 2? I think you know, I'm expecting it will be somewhat of an ensemble, but is she the is she the Gemma Chan of this movie? I would not be surprised, although I actually think, like, if they have her be the one that inherits the Black Panther mantle, I think I would actually prefer that to be Nakia, Lupita Nyong'o's character, because I feel like Shuri is so fun as Shuri, and Nakia is actually a much more similar character to T'Challa in terms of just being Mm. very straightforward in her morality and almost a little bit, like, 
boring, but in like a cool way, right? Like Tatala is not the flashiest character, yeah. but that's kind of what's interesting about him. And I feel like, I don't know, if I were writing the sequel, I would make it that T'Challa and Nakia like got married, you know, and whatever the time jump has been. And that she is the queen of Wakanda and, you know, will take up the Black Panther manter, mantle. Although I do agree that the, the big pause in this production does imply that Shuri at least has a bigger role than she did in the first one, where I feel like you could have shot more around her. I actually wonder as well whether, you know, whether there is another Black Panther, whether anyone specifically goes by that mantle, or whether Shuri is the lead of the movie, and there isn't a Black Panther. It's it's just, she's the lead. Maybe it's it's partly about deciding who the next Black Panther is. Can I throw out mm. my, my wild conspiracy theory about this news? <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Totally unfounded, based on nothing. I'm just going to say it now on, on my... I wonder if this is so going to that... be the same as oh. James's theory, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to hear this. Okay. My theory is that when the, you know, after the first rewrite when Bozeman died, it was, it, it, you know, he, he rewrote it for to be sure he's the new Black Panther, will be the Black Panther in the MCU going forward, is the main character of this movie, etc., and then basically Letitia Wright <laughs> turned out to be a little problematic, <laughs> maybe maybe even more problematic than we we are aware of at this point, you know, on set, all the anti-vaxxy stuff that we do know about. Mm. And that basically that plan has changed now. And and they can, you know, that it's a nice it's a nice bit of reasoning that she was injured and so they're gonna pause for production. But it is a big pause and maybe, maybe this is also a pause where they rewrite the script pretty pretty dramatically, and uh, and um, and Kugler tries to re, you know to sort of figure out how to put in what they've already shot. They've clearly they've clearly been shooting the movie for ages into a rewritten version that where Shuri doesn't end up being the canonical Black Panther. Uh, yeah, that's my that's my crazy conspiracy theory. I think that's go. a very fun theory. I like it's it. Not, it's <laughs> not a million miles away from James's theory either. Yeah, um, my conspiracy theory was that she had caught COVID, and that's why they had to <gasps> suspend production. Um, so the shutdown is beginning uh, apparently Thanksgiving week, and the f- filming will re- likely resume in early 2022. So I think, yeah, you know that that is a significant break. But you know, I, I, I can kind of to, to buy into the you know the party line that has been put out there. That's what they did when Harrison Ford hurt his back or hurt his leg on on The mm-hmm. Force Awakens, isn't it? They mm-hmm. just halted production and waited for him, and then they and Tom put, Cruise and they in a yes, Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Um, yeah, there is something notable about those two actors versus Letitia Wright. Yeah, <laughs> something. There's a little, something a little different about those guys. But, <laughs> although it's important to note that you know Harrison Ford did not have loads of screen time in force awakens no. he was what probably in yeah, for 45 minutes oh no I, he's it's 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 his movie of the of the older characters right he's the sure yeah i think yeah but he's not i agree with ned that he's not probably his amount of screen time doesn't add up to that much yeah relative to this i guess the 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 flip side that i was going to that i was going to say was um so it was also reported this last week in non-comic book movie news, but um, that Emilio Estevez would not be appealing, appearing in the <laughs> second series of the Mighty Ducks <laughs> Disney Plus show. Um, and, you know, like, Estevez is the... He's the face of that franchise, and they're not bringing him back for the second series, apparently to do with COVID protocol on set. 
and whether he had you know said that he would he wouldn't get vaccinated that sounds like what it was and that disney were unwilling to work with him under those circumstances i heard he was immunized ah, yeah um <laughs> can't this week although <laughs> might have to later in the episode we'll get back to it um and um yeah so i i do i i wouldn't rule that out entirely and and you know we've talked about it before haven't we that with wakanda forever the number of candidates that you have from that first movie who could be the leads of a sequel you know are mm. plentiful so unusually yeah. high you know for like i feel like even if they said it was uh, okoye was the lead you'd go yeah sure okay great great yeah or uh Mbaku, you know like uh, there's yeah i Oh, oh, wouldn't we, that be fun? Yeah, I, I am Michael excited by this. The dead. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's an interesting idea to make it to do some sort of like the Black Panther is all of us sort of a situation with. There are so many beloved ensemble characters in there. You know, I can see something where you've got like, you know, six different Black Panthers and everyone's a different color in the final. Ooh, you know, you Ned, got a, like I love a green this idea. necklace Black Panther and a purple. <laughs> you know, and they're all fighting together against some squad of people like a i don't know it's interesting because i do think yeah exactly like a pack of panthers exactly yeah i think because if if people did somewhat um you know the, the first movie was picked up it was just so celebrated for what it was putting out in the world and if there was one aspect i think that people sort of complained about it was that it still was this idea of a you know, a, a royal line and, you know, the the idea of having like one autonomous king ruling this nation based on, you know, birth plus a trial by combat. And so I think I can see saying, you know, in the second one, we want to dig into even that idea and get into like, you know, the Black Panther can really be anyone. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe, Ned, that you, we've invited you onto this podcast <laughs> and you've insulting our culture. <laughs> After you handed me this this Abraham Lincoln olive branch, and here I go questioning the idea of, uh, of, royalty. of a royal line. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very good idea. And if at the end of the film they can get in a giant robot, um, I will buy the pitch. At the time that Black Panther was released, James would have had to got angry, had to have gotten angry with you about that. But he doesn't work there anymore, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, I see. Great. Nice to be contractually relieved from that. It also, I'm just realizing, it would be fun if the if the if the English monarchy had a trial by combat flavor element added to it. I that mean, plenty of plenty of plenty of monarchs have got the throne by killing the person who was yeah. sitting there before. There's nothing new about that. Prince it's Andrew an Oprah special, but it's just William and, and Harry fighting. For <laughs> William yeah. <and> Harry. <laughs> okay, um, that's great. You get sorry, Nightcore. No, I was, I was going to say some nonsense. You get the British equivalent of Forrest Whitaker out there to be like, does anyone come forward <laughs> to challenge <laughs> Prince Harry? Is it Stephen Fry, I guess? Be, <laughs> sure, that tracks. Prince yeah. Harry and Piers Morgan, I think, probably. He'll put it in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll move on to our final piece of um, news this week. And um, James has already told me that he thinks that this is boring. Um, so... <laughs> I didn't. I didn't Some say that. Or... I would have. I would have. But... <laughs> James heavily implied that he thought this was boring. I was excited, and I'm going to watch one of these. One, not twelve. And... I can't. I can't believe anyone gives a shit about this. Honestly, <sighs> James. 
Disney Plus are going to res- uh, restore the IMAX scenes uh, for twelve um, to, uh, sh- for Shang Chi and twelve other Marvel movies when Shang Chi goes up on Disney Plus this weekend. Um, so when we get to those IMAX um, shots on uh, in in those thirteen movies, uh, you'll get to see twenty six percent more picture on your uh, on your Disney Plus stream. At home. Wow. Um, I, I, Ooh, which, which let's, let's remember, was filmed in such a way that it could be safely cropped out without losing anything interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, but that's the case for every IMAX <laughs> release. Like it now. Okay, now we're on the same page. <laughs> but what, what if it's Mephisto? In yes, the, in that, actually, <laughs> he's just crawling around in the top of frame. <laughs> it's the, the screenshot in the background. <laughs> the screenshot they used to illustrate this. Had mostly a black band at the top of the screen. They were like, "Look, more space, more nothing." I, I honestly can't imagine a single person going, oh, "I'm going to watch that in IMAX." That's that. I'd, I'd like. Yeah. I, so no, when, I can't imagine it. When I can't imagine you doing it. I, I like. I, I like the precedent here, at, at the very least, of bringing bringing the IMAX ratio two home release of films you know now that you you know in the same way that when disney plus has special features i'm like yes do that for like all streaming services should do this for everything like just give me give me all of the content that i used to get on dvds and showing me stuff in different formats and presenting me with the option to watch something in the imax format i'm interested especially if those scenes were shot specifically with imax in mind and so the list of the films here is Shang-Chi, Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Civil War, Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War, Ant-Man, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, sorry, Captain Marvel, and Avengers Endgame, and Black Widow. Um, so, you know, like, if they were shot with IMAX in mind, those shots were composed with IMAX in mind, yeah, the, yeah, the, the version that we saw in cinemas was the smaller version, but I'm kind of intrigued to see, you know... Because I, I, you know, I don't know if you've been and seen films, James, that were shot for IMAX before, where the screen suddenly gets bigger and you're like, ooh, mm-hmm. um, like yeah. I, I, I enjoy having. Like I went and watched Dun, I went and watched Dunkirk in a normal screening, and then I went and watched the uh, the 35 mil uh, IMAX projection as well because I wanted to see that 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 you know what Nolan had shot for that specific version. So. I think it's cool. <laughs> Who's which? Should we just put it to a vote? Is any anyone else interested? Yeah, let's in have a vote in, <laughs> remotely, or is it just me? <laughs> I'm interested in what you said about the precedent of giving <laughs> us more features. This particular feature does not hold a ton of. I mean, if somebody tweets, twenty six percent. I loved. No, and look out. I, I I like to try to track down IMAX screenings for that. Although we now no longer have a a true IMAX in Chicago at all, which is sad. But Just I hear that in the theater. But on my computer screen. Uh, is it? Is I mean, is it going to need to bring in letter letterbox bars on the sides to make it that aspect ratio, or is it just going to get bigger? I just, I just can't uh, quite picture it. And I guess it depends. On if the, somebody, on the, yeah. on the, you know, on your on your screen. Yeah, uh, look, I'll look up my specs. We can do this now. Um, no, <laughs> I, I, if somebody also, why tweets, why are you watching movies on your computer? 
Sorry, Ned. I'm I, just gonna I'm gonna drag you for that. That's don't do I that. know. I have a you I have, have a, a proje- <laughs> I don't have a television. I have a projector oh. screen, which means it takes me five minutes to like get the whole thing set up, which sometimes is just too long. So. <laughs> that's you why have like the biggest screen of anyone or the smallest screen. You have no in yeah. between. But I so, you have a nice projector setup. I will say, having watched movies there. Yeah, thank you. So, look, if somebody tweets like, oh, Endgame with... If somebody just convincingly says it's worth it, I might give it a look. But right now, this is not something I I jump at. Just to to reel you in. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, well, now I know you have an angle. That's my vote. Reese, what's your vote? No, no, who cares? Shit, I've already lost. (laughs) Who cares? No, I don't care. I'm I'm not enough of of a... this kind of film nerd to appreciate this but i will say i freaking loved shang chi and i'm very excited for it to be on disney plus so i can watch it again because that <laughs> i just loved that movie so just to put that out there Caroline, it's, pro shang chi neutral on imax it's edition. gonna cost you nothing to click on the imax version versus the normal one so just saying okay i'll watch it in your honor guys i'm just i'm just realizing we had such a such a mess up so i'm really sorry we didn't wish each other a good disney plus day before <laughs> i really i feel bad oh. what what plans do you guys have what are you are you you know what effigy are you burning to bob Iger and, mm. uh, and feige this 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 disney it's plus friday day. right it's friday oh yeah I, it's, I i hate that i know that yes disney plus day 2021 is this friday Kill me, kill me with a with happy a Disney Plus day to you. Happy Reese. Disney Plus day, <laughs> and also to you. I think I'm going to watch Ant Man and the Wasp in the IMAX format. I'm just looking at the options that I have available to me. I think oh, I thought I tried to move us on from this think, very think boring conversation. That's the, one I'll, <laughs> that's the one I'll probably go for. Maybe Black Panther. Mm. Um, I definitely don't want to watch 26% more Russo concrete. So yeah, probably, probably <laughs> you, should record a, a, you should record a. a you should do a watch long of all of the, uh, the new IMAX versions and record a podcast of the of that entire experience. Record Stay record right a podcast forward. where you where you focus only on the expanded yeah. IMAX portion of the screen and describe yeah, what's you in put it. A black the bar sliver the of the sky of the is beautiful. Check, you just watch uh, and look at the bottom top. Keep checking your Patreon feeds, listeners, and uh, something twenty six percent of extra content should come soon. <laughs> Okay, um, that is it for this week's uh, comic book movie and TV news. Uh, We'll move on now to our, to begin with, spoiler-free thoughts on Eternals uh, before we move into full spoiler. Oh, here we go, here we go. Okay, so, guys, Eternals, we've got five of us here, five opinions waiting to be given, and... um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what anyone thinks about this yet. I don't. No one knows what I thought about it. I even decided when I got home and logged it on my letterbox not to put in a star rating. So I didn't. I saw. I saw. I was so frustrated. Well, we've got to come to our guest first. Um, Ned, where where do you stand on Eternals? It, it has split people in the critical community. Um, did it work for you? It worked for me. I loved it. I had a blast. Yeah, it really did. It really did. I was extremely charmed by them, basically from word one. And while I feel like some of the stories, of which there are many, sort of competing (laughs) for time in this already kind of long movie, some of those stories didn't quite go to anywhere as interesting as I'd hoped they would. I thought the initial promise of them was quite strong and i was really invested in these sweet 
found family of immortal superheroes and their relationships to each other. And uh, yeah, uh, and, and I thought the movie had a lot of visual interest and I basically had a blast. Excellent. Okay, so we've got one pro Eternals. Caroline? Mm-hmm. Well, Ned, I thought I was going to be the only pro Eternals on this podcast, but apparently I'm not. I'm in lockstep with you. I actually, I've seen this movie twice now. The first time I saw it, I was more towards the mixed side, and I think it's a movie... My sense is that this was a movie made by people who were very steeped in this world that they were creating and maybe could have used an outsider to come in and say, hey, this is the stuff that doesn't make sense to a first-time viewer. This is the stuff that does make sense to a first-time viewer. Let's, you know, clarify the storytelling there a little bit more. But... Having seen this on a second viewing, I think it just becomes eminently more rewarding. And I similarly kind of fell in love with it, especially on that second viewing. So I agree. Eternals, two thumbs up. Well, we've got two pro already. Are we Are we going to be split down the middle? Uh, Reese, <laughs> I'll come to you next. Loved Eternals! <laughs> I knew, I knew oh, wow, this is, this is shocking. Loved Eternals! <laughs> I, well, okay. The first hour I sort of hated, and then there's there's a moment. I, I won't I won't detail it. That for me, there was, and I thought, oh god, this is absolutely the that's this is the the stinky film that uh, I've, the, the reviews suggest for the, for about an hour. And then there's just there is for me there was a moment. There was a single kind of turn of the story, you know, the first of a few, a pivot, and and a reveal. And I sort of I thought, oh oh, this is my okay, this isn't, I didn't think we were going it. This is my shit. And then the, the next hour and a half, it just felt like it sort of dug deeper into, into all that, into all that fun stuff. Um, and, and yeah, I, the characters totally grew on me. The things that, I think there are some bold choices in that first hour that, that work as you go in, as you go further into the film. And yeah, and by, by the end, I, uh, I'll, com- I'll, I'll compare this with with, with Shang Chi, which I, I thought that was fine and fun, and I liked it. And the, the, the podcast is the podcast on that one. But I remember at the end thinking, I'm much more interested to see Shang Chi interact with the Avengers from this than necessarily a Shang Chi sequel. Whereas Eternals ended, and I was like, oh, I just I really would love another one of these. I really want to see where all these characters go next. Mm. I feel invested in this in this sort of trippy little corner of the of the cosmic MCU stuff. And, and yeah, sure, I guess these characters are going to meet all the other characters that I like, but I, I really like that, and I, I want more of it. Yeah, loved it. James? So, so curious to hear James. I, I just do not recognize the movie you people are talking about. <laughs> I knew it! I knew it! <laughs> I thought, for the first, okay, for the first hour I was going, oh, this is fine, and then for the last hour and a half I was just thinking, do you expect me to care about any of this? Like, who are these people and what are they doing? Because none of this has any, like, emotional or narrative resonance with the first hour of the movie. Um, I felt like I was watching a sort of below-par DC movie with some off-brand superheroes. What I felt like, actually, was that I came out of it thinking that felt like I had just binged-watched Jupiter's Legacy. (laughs) It was slow and dull, and I didn't care about anyone, and I thought I failed at everything it tried to do. (laughs) So not even not even a, a slight negative, James. Just a full. It crash landed into my bottom five MCU movies. Oh shit! So where, where where does give us a flavour of what it sits alongside? 
it's it's alongside Guardians 2 and Ant-Man and the Wasp, which are two of my least favourite. The only ones worse are Thor 2 and uh, Incredible Hulk. Oh, wow. So How you really have. dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Thor 2 is a masterpiece. Whereas I'm sitting here, as Caroline knows, thinking, how dare you slander the Incredible Hulk like that? But we cannot get into that right now. Okay. And Joseph. Joseph so, um, uh, <laughs> What I thought was, uh, it, this is entirely wild that for for all of these like you know wildly diverging opinions on this movie i feel like i've come out of my third marvel movie of the year thinking yeah that's a slightly above three star effort like i kind of i i <laughs> I, I didn't love it i didn't hate it and but in a in a different way like it it doesn't it doesn't feel like completely cut from the marvel template like uh like uh, shang chi and black widow did um agreed but i i, I and i think where i end up coming coming like slightly above 3 stars on it is um i liked some of the characters i cared about some of the characters some of them fell really flat um i i i think it is genuinely criminal that this movie is 157 minutes long <laughs> someone should yeah someone agree, should be actually. thrown in jail um <laughs> you know this isn't this isn't the 25th film in a in a beloved spy franchise this is <laughs> this is the eternal isn't like, it like the 25th mcu movie though? but but who but we d- we don't know any of these people like this you can't <laughs> you didn't know kingo you didn't know Drew. jesus christ I, know, I, I still don't know half of them <laughs> but yeah i would watch kingo Macari? over james bond any oh, day boo. um <laughs> yeah this this is better than james bond definitely. no definitely yes. not um definitely it i thought it was kind of like I, I, I thought Chloe Zhao, you could feel her stamp on it. I was um, relieved to be watching a Marvel movie that wasn't shot on a backlot. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I appreciated all of the, you know, all of the... Natural light? Well, all of the natural light, all of the, mm, all of the actual hour, location maybe. shooting. And I thought that there were some, you know, like... Some some really well composed frames in this movie. You hardly ever see London depicted on on action screen. <laughs> Camden, Camden Lock, it, it baby. Absolutely crazy for me. Um, what's this? Mild place? spoiler, but I love that someone in the MCU finally fucked. Um, and <laughs> that's true. And in the desert, my that's right on the in ground. the middle of a sand dune. <laughs> Where do they put their clothes in that scene? Like the yeah, worst, the, the worst possible place you can have sex. <laughs> their clothes just kind of disappeared in a flash of golden light. You know, no one really knows how the clothes work. Maybe Macari ran to them and they took their clothes and ran away. And we away. don't 100% know that Eternals have genitals, so, you know. Well, they could just be rubber, yeah. It could be, be a Team true. America situation. Um, yeah, my main complaint is the plot it makes... It's, it's, it's <laughs> fucking interminable. Like, and... and yeah, I I would agree more with, I, and I think I know exactly what Reese is referring to in terms of the the pivot. But I think I enjoyed the movie more in the first half, where I could get more of a more of a grasp on, and have more of a, and, and like I felt like I could forgive the movie more for some of the stuff it was doing 
because it felt more because it did feel more DC like it felt more like that these are gods rather than these are regular people and the second half of the movie once it got into the hey this is the thing that we need to stop I was like I, I just I can't with any of this and act, and and especially I was like how are you, how are you going to plot your way out of what you're doing here and I don't think it does I think it I, I yeah I, I thought the, the, the final act was a bit of a mess Oh no, it's it, so good. It's so good. I think it is a movie that is like crying out to have its compelling pieces sort of reassembled mm. in a different way. Like I do think it has <laughs> lots nothing, of nothing. flaws, but I think what it's doing it's just very thinky in a way that mm. Marvel's usually not. Like yep. the pitch is just like X-Men meets the old guard. Yep. And half of the characters have the personality of Spock, which is really like my platonic <laughs> ideal of a movie. So I think that that carries me far in terms of being invested. But I also think that those are very particular pieces that don't necessarily appeal to everyone. So I do kind of understand why this has been as divisive as it is. The, the thinkiness of it, I'm just not, I'm not, for all of its gentle pace and that vibe i'm not sure what it does have on its mind Mm. and see this is why i actually think on a second viewing when i took literally seven pages of notes (laughs) while i was watching (laughs) i was getting so much more out of it because on the first viewing you're just like there's literally 10 characters that i've never met before who many of them have their own individual like supporting players And mm. the entire thing is unfolding across 7,000 years of history, of human history, and then also establishing this whole space history. And then also there's, like, three different moments that kind of play, like, twists. And mm. you're just like, what is happening? Like, this is so much to take in mm. that it's, I think, the the movie does not do a good job of, like, bringing its emotional and philosophical issues forward. But I do think they're there if you're sort of willing to dig a little mm. bit for them. And I think that the movie, besides taking a look at sort of human history and sort of the commonalities of all the world's cultures at all the world's different eras, in addition to that, is mostly interested in the relationships between its eternal characters. And I think it mines a lot of good stuff out of those. And so that is, I think, mostly what we spend our time actually exploring is how they relate to each other as a team, as a kind of a found family and uh, and yeah, I found that dynamic because I was into the performances in most cases. Uh, I found that really rewarding. I can't... For me, if there's if there's a well, there are for me there are two problems with it, and these aren't spoilery problems, which holds me back from from I think thinking it's really fantastic. And that the, the they are, I think the the relationship between Richard Madden and Gemma Chan. I think the movie wants us to feel more for mm-hmm. than I pers- than I did in my screen. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the rest of you, and mm-hmm. I think yeah. it puts a lot on that, especially as 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 the movie <laughs> you know kind of winds itself down towards the end. And it doesn't. And, it and doesn't I just I just didn't feel that very well the way that it structures yes. the introduction of that relationship. Yes. So there's that, and then I, but I also think the big the big problem is, is almost it's more of a. I don't know this, you know, I, I, I joke, I, I, I write those jokes with the, the, the episode starts with that cinema score thing was a reference to the eternal cinema score. And I don't know whether what I'm about to say would have 
would have made the cinema score for this better or worse. But I kind of think for me, all of the Kingo, and it's mainly Kingo bringing the humorous tone and the and the what, what I would you know the sort of MCU witty gaggy stuff to the movie. I think that. I, I kind of would like to see the movie without that. I think that... Kingo that, and Karen. <laughs> I think the movie you wanted to see the movie without yeah, that, right? I, I kind of... I wish I wish it went... that It, it made that bolder step of going even for... I, you know, I think the movie is already quite different to the template, as, as discussed, but that, for me, is the bit that... It just always felt a bit jarring, and, and, and the tone of the overall film and what the movie, what I think, was trying to be about and what most of the characters were, were, were being going towards. And this fits with Chloe Zhao's other two movies, right? It's not, it just isn't, it just doesn't have that, that witticism to it. He's and, the... And Nanjani, for all of his, for all of his qualities as an individual, as an actor, he's, it's, he just doesn't, he just feels out of place in, in the ensemble. But I think he's probably the character that, you know, if you said, if you said uh, one of these characters is going to show up in Shang-Chi 2 or whatever, or Guardians of the Galaxy, you'd be like, Kingo, right? Mm-hmm. We, we put Kingo in there yeah. because he makes more sense with the rest of the MCU than this movie in particular does. That's true. But that's what—that's why the movie's good and interesting is because it, it feels different to uh, almost all of the other 20 plus MCU movies. Although I, I although as a, you know, as a comic star myself, it, it didn't feel so different as to disconnect it for me in my own head from the rest of the universe. So that's, and that's the magic trick, isn't it? And that's what, that's what Feige and, and the lot and the PR has always said when Guardians comes along or when um, the Disney Plus show, you know, it's like, oh, we're, we're trying, we're kind of trying to branch out and go in these different directions, except that they mostly don't. They mostly, it looks the flatness of the MCU movies. It has the tone of the MCU movies. Whereas and this was genuinely the first one, I think, for me that, that you know, like Ant-Man, Ant-Man 1 wasn't a fucking heist movie. It was an MCU superhero. Whereas this felt, this just felt different. And that kept my interest in a way that I didn't, I didn't have for Black Widow and Shang-Chi this year. If this was like, Oh, okay. This, this is something I, I've, you know, it's the, it's the, um, DiCaprio meme from Django Unchained, right? It had my curiosity <laughs> and then it had my intention because it just, there was something, just the flavor of it, the vibe of it just it for me, different. right? That can't be good. For me, I, I liked that it was trying something different, but I was also going, Oh, but it hasn't worked. Like the, the the reason all the other MCU movies have that weird sort of quippy tone is because even if the rest of the story is junk and the performances are bad, you've still got uh, something fun holding the film together. And like, I'm, I'm just the worst audience for this because when Kingo was around, I was going, oh good, Kingo and his comedy sidekick are around. I'm having fun. And as soon as that stopped, I was like, oh, when are they going to bring Kingo back? Because... Now it's dull again. I did think the comedy jarred the most it has since probably Doctor Strange, which I just remember mm. those gags in Doctor Strange not really working. But I thought it did. I, I, I didn't think it had quite the clangs that the trailer did. Uh, the way that the, no. the way that the, mm-hmm. the gags were much more gentle in the movie. They weren't. Yeah. They were rarely delivered as punchlines. It was more let's try and uh, sprinkle a bit of fun into it. Um, yeah, I. I liked hanging out in the vibe of this movie. And as I said, I liked some of the characters and I was interested in some of the stuff. But the, I, I think for me, the, to go back to what does this movie have in its mind, I think the stuff that is most on the surface is this kind of existential, um, you know, what is my purpose? 
Um, I'm a 7,000 year old, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just living this life over and over again and I don't know what the point of it is. And I'm like, yeah, I have seen that in The Old Guard and I have seen that in a bunch of other sci-fi stories. I kind of feel like the more interesting stuff is the stuff that's that's um, hidden a little bit further down. And I don't think, I, I, I don't know whether the movie grapples with it and I don't know whether the characters really grapple with it either. Joe, I don't know if this comparison will make you like the movie more or dislike the movie more. The way I enjoy Eternals is similar to the way I enjoy the Matrix sequels, where I recognize that they're deeply flawed films that don't really work and no one's really acting like a human being in them and the philosophical ideas are not well communicated. And yet I think that the it's so compelling anyway. And in some ways, the weirdness and the cold, the coldness and the detachment of it is what's interesting about it that you have these godlike characters who are just perceiving questions of morality and life or death and like what are you willing to sacrifice for the greater good which are themes that the mcu explores but usually it's like should we sacrifice one person in this one battle but the eternals are on this scale of like looking at things on a full cosmic level that i find to be like a very interesting shift in perspective that reminds me way more of like a weird sci-fi thing or, you know, an episode of Doctor Who or The Matrix or whatever than it does just the like good versus evil superhero stuff. I would say, you know, the, I think I like I loved Eternals, but The Matrix has Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne. And I, I and and we can get we can talk, you know, we can talk about the cast in this movie loads. But I think I think it doesn't it just doesn't have those those levels of talent on screen to to sell some of that stuff to 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 emotionally connect you you know because yeah the connect the the keanu reeves matrix performance is kind of amazing because he's this robot then he's a superhero uh he's a normal guy at the beginning and yet you you know you just because of his his charisma and his his movie star qualities it works and i you know richard madden isn't keanu reeves (laughs) and gem and gemma chan uh, for me, that's another big. Pr- I think that's a problem for me with this film is that I think Gemma Chan is. I would have liked somebody. I don't know. I would like somebody better in that in that lead role. She is basically the lead of the film, and for, and I thought she couldn't really carry that. I don't know if you. I don't know if you guys agree with that. I think we should. I think we should probably look to transition into spoilers here because I think for each of the characters, I think we're gonna we're gonna have to go through this cast. And talk about them almost one at a time, and 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 who works and who doesn't. Um, Just as long as we talk, talk about Druig for, I guess, about ninety minutes. Is that okay? <laughs> cool with you guys? That's okay. Nine, that might maybe a hundred minutes. I don't know. We got like a Druig fan time. on the cast. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, what we'll do now is we'll um, play you uh, a little hit of the Eternals trailer, and then we will be back with our spoiler-filled thoughts on the movie. Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. How long do we have? Seven days.
We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the Deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos? Or any war, or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless Deviants are involved. By who? We need to find the others. I haven't seen some of them for centuries. Hi. Hello. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. We have loved these people since the day we arrived. When you love something, you protect it. Fall Collection, Ikea. Okay, so let's move into full spoiler-filled discussion of Eternals now. Um, Black Knight, Star Fox! Ah! <laughs> Eternals are robots. They're robots! <laughs> yeah, they're, they're robots, robots. they're white! It's Westworld! They're robots, space robots! <laughs> I found it. I found it really difficult to grasp onto. So I got. I, I. I did think we were in big trouble when the opening crawl came on, and I was like, Yeah, like six oh, paragraphs of it. Like, like this is like the start of John Carter, except instead of delivering it in voiceover, you're giving me it on screen, and it like you're you're throwing words at me like. Uh, like uh, like Arisham and Celestials and and yeah, their movies should Ajax. never have opening yes. crawls except can for Star I, Wars movies. Just shouldn't do it. Can I just throw out that kind of similar? I think it was the was it your Suicide Squad episode where basically nobody except James actually saw the beginning mm. of the movie. I <laughs> overestimated the duration of the trailers. <laughs> and I got into the theater and I saw basically just the words like changed everything. <laughs> <I> said, <"Uh-oh." laughs> Uh oh! I think I might have missed something, I, I, but but I, I didn't feel like I missed. No, anything. I don't. No, you, you didn't did because because it, it, I spent so long trying to go. So what? And what did that say at the start? And have yes. I missed anything? And no, I'm Joe, really... this is why I took eight pages of notes when I saw it because <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to get it all in my head. And 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 I think that probably you know the, the big spoiler thing is what you know what uh, <laughs> what was just alluded to is so the Eternals have been think they have been in 5000 bc sent to earth to protect humans from the deviants and 
for the next six and a half thousand years, they kill the deviants, and then for the next five hundred years, they're just sat there waiting, going, "Well, what now?" And their guess leader is... screw on the desert. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll guess, <laughs> guess we'll bang in the desert. And fall, and we'll fall out. We'll go out. Guess we'll ways. be Bollywood stars. I don't know, guys. What, else, what do you want to do? Get cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> and Ajak, the, the um, Sama Hayek character, is their leader, and she communes with a celestial called Arishem. And um, she has known all along what the real plan is. Um, at, at, it, 500 years ago, she reveals that to Icarus as well, who is the uh, Richard Madden character. And um, and then we kind of pick up with the movie in the modern day. Um, and Ajax has been killed. The deviants have resurfaced. And Cersei gains the ability to be able to commune with Arishim, and when she does, Arishim reveals so, actually you would, the, the, I sent the Deviants to Earth in the first place, as kind of apex predators to kill the things that were going to kill humans except they became too powerful and started killing humans, so then I sent you after them uh, Eternals, I created you you're not from the planet you think you're from and actually you've done this loads of times I, I send you to different planets to kill the deviants um, and the planets that you're sent to uh, have a, like um, a celestial embryo in their core, I guess, and then that mm-hmm. celestial is born and destroys the planet. And I'm like, am I watching a movie about celestial abortion? <laughs> yeah, there's a Doctor Who episode yes, called are. "Kill the Moon," where where the Doctor's companion Clara has to decide whether to the, she learns the moon is an egg. And she has to decide whether to let the egg hatch, thereby potentially destroying the Earth, or to, like, Ooh. destroy the life inside the moon and let the moon be. And this episode was similarly <laughs> controversial yeah. for people being like, is this all a weird abortion metaphor? But I was getting very big Kill the Moon vibes from the sort of reveals of <laughs> yeah. what the actual eternal yeah. Eternals Ooh. plot is. And so in, in the first half of the movie, I did feel like, okay, we are in kind of DC territory where these characters are gods they kind of act slightly detached from humanity and and most of them still feel like they are detached although some of them have you know in these 500 years where they've lived among us got to got to know humanity a little bit more and then in the second half it's flipped and it's like i know okay so that they're, they're actually the the more human concerns really are the ones that are brought to the surface and their into their kind of interpersonal relationships become more important and and basically it becomes a debate between the characters about and, and a split between the eternals about whether they should kill this celestial or try and put it to sleep or try and I was like well obviously it's not going to be either of these there's going to be a third option that fixes things because this is. I didn't feel like the characters were ever really wrestling with what they should do. It was more, or, or wrestling with whether killing a celestial was the right thing to do. Because if the celestial is born, he will create loads more life, and billions of and new galaxies will be created. So, so by killing the celestial, they're killing killing lots of future life. And I didn't really feel like they ever debated it. I felt like it was just. Some of them are like, this is my mission, I should do this, I should, and I should do this. And then the other ones were, oh, but we like the humans. And it was never about, I don't know, I, I, I felt like it, it never really got to grips with 
that huge philosophical <laughs> argument at its centre. No, but the but the conflict. Well, you know, okay, the, 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 that is the clear conflict between the two the two sects of the Eternals, and uh, you know, it's, it's like that. It's almost like that um, that thing they say about with 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 movie musicals, right? That the the characters kind of they they express their emotions and they they you know you have big plot moments that happen within musical sequences in within musical sequences in musicals and it was you know i think i think that's what happens in this film that those yes they don't they don't they don't discuss those things but they fight about they fight each other <laughs> in, intellectually speaking though the the arguments are like this this one celestial might create billions more lives than it ends versus oh but humans are special yeah so i think the argument is actually i think the argument is there's there's the eternals that are like really see erisham as their god and they are leaning into this idea that the way it's always been done is the natural way and therefore we should let it Mm. happen but at one point cersei voices this thing where she's like it's not natural, it's archaic and violent. Mm-hmm. And I think actually a big theme of this movie is evolution because we mm-hmm. learned that the mm-hmm. de- the thing that <laughs> screwed everything up was that Erisham made the deviants and the deviants could evolve and he wasn't anticipating that. That was like his big mistake. And so the deviants grew, be- evolved beyond what he expected of them and so then they became a problem. So he specifically made the Eternals so that they were like physically incapable of evolution thinking that that would like then stop the problem. And so the move, this movie is sort of asking, like, can the Eternals evolve mentally? And also, is it the right thing to re- to evolve mentally? Because I think the movie's a little bit ambiguous as to whether them stopping the Celestial from coming is actually a good thing or not. Like, even at the end, Cersei's like, I'm still yeah. not 100% sure that what we did was right. And Kingo's like, yeah, well, but we did it. So we just kind of got to live with it. Yeah. And I find that to be a really interesting tension. I love and, a movie and, where androids evolve. That's always mm-hmm. delightful to me. And I, I do think that they do a decent job of spreading out different ways of engaging with that debate. I, I agree that it feels like that debate does not entirely stick, but I think they do a decent job of sort of giving different members of the Eternals different ways of engaging with that question. Uh, kind of like a 12 Angry Men sort of thing where it's like, you know, Icarus is really doing it because he was sent here with a mission and the thing to do is finish the mission. And Kingo is like, I don't want to do it because I want to do what Icarus does. But also, or yeah, really that's what Sprite ends up taking. I do feel like Kamel Nanjiani... Sprite's got a crush. Yeah, Sprite's got a crush and she lets to do what her crush wants to do. Um, I do feel like, uh, like Kamel is sort of tasked with actually articulating the we are preventing billions more lives from being born argument. Mm-hmm. And I, I am split on Kingo. I I kind of think that Kumail does a really great job with the comic bits in sort of his featured chapter early on, and does some funny one-liners. But I don't feel like he ever completely sells me on all of his like serious dramatic things. So I kind of think that actually weakens the articulation of those moments because I'm not sold on him. He doesn't sell me on this idea that like the celestial should be born because of potential future people. So I do think there is something to the idea that like, yeah, instead of them settling this, it becomes a conflict. It's not the part of the movie. The actual debate about the birth of the celestial is not what draws me into this movie the most. I'd say it's one of the, the weaker aspects of it. 
Can on I, on, can on I the Kingo front, how, it's a uh, crime he didn't take his top off. I just need to say. <laughs> he did all true. that work. He yeah. did all that's, that work. That's why he had to post it on Instagram or Twitter, you know? You know like, <laughs> like, he's like, when's my shirt with Steve? Colby Zhao's like, it doesn't happen, man. He goes, okay, right well, give me the... just one moment. <laughs> you wouldn't do it as an eternal. You would talk, You would think about Arisham with the top on. You're like, oh, fuck, I did, did all those press-ups. You get some good arm you do. I did. I'll be honest. I did kind of like the reveal of, oh, this is perhaps the first MCU character whose buffness made. Well, I guess Thor as well. But like, you know, like in the way that Star Lord is really buff, and you're like, why? Why is <laughs> yeah. Star Lord really buff? Whereas you're like, oh, he's buff because he's a whole. He's a Bollywood star. Like he's got absolutely ripped because that's what you do if you want to be that level of superstar in Bollywood. Yeah, and he's a space robot that's been around for millennia. So that, also that. Also I think that it's a chicken or egg question. Did he get ripped to be a Bollywood star, or did he become a Bollywood star because he kind of looked that way? Because we saw he kind of looked, he kind of had the perfect hair and eyebrows going back like thousands of millennia. I think so. Babylon. I think the reason that Kamal got ripped is because his character was a Bollywood star. That's of course, I mean. yes, yeah. that. That does make sense. Yes. Although, can I just sidebar? Like, I feel like we've, we've been hearing about that Bollywood dance sequence for like three months, and then it get, you get to it in the movie, and it's just like nothing. It's a proper nothing sequence. Well, yeah, it was. It was it, I thought Kumail dancing could have. I really, I actually really liked Kumail in this movie. I thought yeah, I kind of liked the comedy of Kinga worked for me. It was the comedy of everyone else that didn't. But I do think that dancing, I was like, mm, Kumail should have spent a little less time in the gym, a little more time in the dance studio. <laughs> Could have gotten a little bit better on that well, thing, but it was a fun sequence a to have less. in. Talk about it less on the on the press tour, right? Because you're gonna get people like all oh, Reesey Pants, pretty damn excited, pretty damn juiced up. See a friggin' dance, and then just nothing. Well, you know what would what would Camille have talked about on? Yeah. The press? you know, he would, I have some fight scenes with the other Eternals where we fight. The teams, yeah, you know? and then I leave before the yeah. before the big climax. I, I love yes. being in this in the final sequence. Oh wait, I wasn't. I just I left, and then everyone in the theater thought I would show up at the final moment. I also didn't do that. Either. <laughs> right, that um, was crazy. Why I did. did I do anyway. want to ask Caroline on that on that evolution point as mm-hmm. a as a theme of the movie. How do you think that? So this was something I really i i i couldn't get my head around whilst I was watching the movie. What do you think they were trying to do with that deviant character who is uh, voiced <laughs> who disappears who, for a solid hour, voiced by Bill Skarsgård, kind of uh, saps various Eternals of their power, and at one point, you know, like literally voices when when he gets the ability to speak, literally voices like what do, like you're you're this you're the same like you, you know like right what we're do you both mean children yeah you're Irish, you're like you hunt us and kill us and that continues through to the end of the movie like he is because yeah, i was like okay so is there going to be some realization that it, he genuinely is, he is just like them and why does he deserve to die any more than anyone else he he is the clearest um the clearest you know version of evolution that we see in the movie it did it genuinely bothered me he gets that sliced to pieces they didn't engage with that at all when he said it i was like okay good point relevant to the theme yeah but yeah i think there's about a movie and a half's worth of story in this in Eternals, hmm. and I think the movie would have been smart to save some of these story points for Caroline, a second one. Can I just tell I... you that this movie is a movie and a half long? 
that too. <laughs> um, but I think that it was a mistake to include both the... Like, the Deviants make sense as an early threat. We need something for them to battle at the beginning. I think the reason the Deviants continue all the way through is to give Angelina Jolie's Thena a big action mm. hero moment at the end. Because really... Once they kind of learn what what's actually happening with the Celestial, the only one who still cares about the Deviant is Thena because Gilgamesh has been killed by him. So she just gets... Yep. It, it, yep. It's ultimately just a pretty simple revenge story for her and her, like, refinding her power. But I do think it's a mistake to try to give the Deviants their own, like, philosophical component mm. because it, they are ultimately, at that point, just, like, a sort of secondary antagonist. Either that or you make the Deviants the main, just the main thing in this mm-hmm. and you save the Celestial for number two. Like, I think that mm. there are too many things going on in this movie, including, like, how it, en- like, it basically, like, ends with a cliffhanger. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, if there was ever a movie not to end with a cliffhanger yes. where you just felt complete, <laughs> it should have been this movie. But yeah. I think if they had saved, I don't know which elements they should have saved for a sequel, but I definitely think the Deviant, the idea of that Deviant evolution could have been put into a different movie than this one. Or that, yeah, the, the Deviant is, the Deviant, you know, the reveal at the middle of the movie causes them to question their entire hunting of the Deviants. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you save you save the celestial stuff for later on, and you really and you dig more into that moral dilemma. They could still have, you know, the existence of the celestial as a future decision that they're going to have to make. Bedded well, they te- head, but... yeah. Well, they team up with the you know. Uh, I, I feel I, it's on the tip of my brain, but like that is a bit of a trope in movies where the the, the you know the, the villain for the first half is revealed to actually be yeah. It's like Captain Marvel. Yes, yeah, exactly, yes, yeah. So, so well, maybe they didn't do it because they didn't have to offer, but, you know, the Deviants are, why, you know, why buy, buy the later act of the movie? Why why the Deviants still, or especially the sort of super smart, evolution, evolved, uh, Phil Skarsgård Deviant, why is he, <laughs> you know, it would make sense to me for him to also be against Arisham, uh, you know, and the destruction of the planet in the same way that the Eternals are, yeah. as opposed if to only still because being... he lives there now. Exactly. <laughs> That was the most mystifying part of that character, which I think was a total misfire, and I, I just don't think they should have introduced that whole element. I think my solution, Caroline, would have been start to hint like mm, these things are starting to evolve. It might get more of a problem in the sequel, but mm-hmm. but yeah, the the most baffling part is in the final battle, and I think someone actually articulates to it like, "Why are you helping Icarus?" <laughs> yes, yes. And I was like, well, "Yeah, why are you?" Because <laughs> you just said already like you resent Arisham for creating. Like, why wouldn't you help? Mm the eternal the like the now deviant half of the eternals fight the celestial and it's it is not answered and instead yeah. is that's the thing i don't having his head it's got half, it's is... got rewrite problems written over it, i think like yeah, I, I think that's true i don't think he was actively trying to help icarus right he was just trying to kill eternals yeah and that well, was that all was he really cared about but yeah it wasn't <laughs> he was stupid when I, when he no. walked out of the sea in the final action sequence i genuinely forgotten he was in the movie <laughs> and i was like <laughs> Oh, at least he's going to team up, and instead you get this weird sort of three-way yeah. fight where they're like, "No, you don't, don't kill them. We need to what? kill you and the other one." And it's like, I don't what? know. If, I don't know if James, if James had this thought as a as a comics guy on the call, like me. I did wonder about halfway through, like, "Oh, is is this going to be the super adaptoid? Do you have that thought, or, or the no? That, that's the DC character, right? Who's the Marvel equivalent? No, the, yeah, Marvel has oh, an then, android called the super adaptoid, but right. no, it didn't didn't cross my <laughs> okay, mind. Okay, fine. Who can like absorb people's powers? I was like, oh, oh, fun. They're spinning off the super adaptoid <laughs> starring Bill Skarsgård, Disney did, Plus Halloween Special, twenty twenty three. Yeah, okay. I did wonder as they, you know, as it became clear that 
not all of the Eternals were going to make it out of this movie. And I was like, <laughs> ah, okay, the big the big team makes sense now. We're probably going to end up with five or six at the end of this thing. And I did wonder, yeah, is the Deviant going to evolve to the point that it's human-esque and joins the team? And no. Mm. Um, but they do, um, like, I think the, the sorry to drop the, the Angelina Jolie, there's a very interesting Angelina Jolie kind of career, and this plays to, okay, I think, Reece, what you guys you, kind you, of talk about in role calling, you've right? But inter- that's, you've interrupted yep. at just the wrong point, because this is, this is when I was about to pivot us into our <laughs> character review. So hey, I, I actually think hey. if, we, if we kind of work our way through the carrots in this movie, there's lots of the stuff we, we can talk about that doesn't doesn't work in the movie, because I think... Part of its performance, part of it is what those individual characters are dealing with, the, the the interpersonal relationships between the different Eternals. And I think given that we've been talking about Deviant Crow, voiced by Bill Skarsgård, who, um, <laughs> performance not found, um, we should we should start <laughs> with Angelina Jolie as, uh, as Thena, um, who Thina. is the uh, warrior Eternal. They've all got different powers, and her power is that she can kind of... Um, create weapons and she's also uh suffers from a condition that they call mad weary and um <laughs> need it. to workshop that guys um, she's mad she's mad weary and basically, <laughs> basically that's it's i thought it was mind weary this is me finding out <laughs> well i'm reading on wikipedia that it's it's spelled mad m-a-h-d weary w-y apostrophe r-y so. I think it, that's a Black Eyed Peas album, right? <laughs> I think. I, so maybe Well Well by Night is is also Mad Weary. I'm not. I don't know. I'm not sure. So she um <laughs> she's kind of the, the, it's implied that she's going like crazy because she's got too many memories in her mind and it causes her to go nuts and try and kill the other members of the team. Um, what it is basically is she's got residual memories of her past lives, and that's what's driving her nuts. And she, for her final 500 years, goes off and lives with um, Gilgamesh, uh, who's played by uh, Ma Dong Siok. And um, I thought that she was a, 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 a real dud in the movie. And I was Ooh. really surprised by that because, I, yeah, I just, I, I, I just didn't think that there was, I didn't think the character was the, there was much for Angelina Jolie to get a teeth into. Um, I thought and, and there was not. She was, she was there as the as the action character, and that's the last thing that I would have wanted Angelina Jolie to be there as. Yeah, I thought she was one of the action characters. I thought there was not a lot of pathos to what they were doing with her because they were trying to make it like, you know, she used to be this great warrior, and now she's you know struggling and has mental health problems. I didn't feel that from the movie. They kept telling me and I just sort of looked, well, it's just Angelina Jolie sitting there looking like Angelina Jolie always looks, looking stunning with cool weapons. Like it just, it didn't land for me at all. It's a dementia analogue. And I Mm -hmm. also think that's, that's why you, I think that's probably part of why she's taken this role. Who knows, who knows what the actual script was like, but Mm -hmm. I think she goes, Okay, I could probably do with a little bit of a blockbuster movie at this point in my career. Fine, I'll do it. Um, I get to like be cool and hot, uh, you know, and, and sort of probably be the you know be the biggest star in the movie in, in this ensemble cast. Great, that sounds good. Uh, but also, I get to still do 
I get to you know do something more more interesting because my character essentially has dementia. You know, sure, but and, and, but I don't think those things don't they don't they don't end up working together. And I in in the I performance, I didn't in the performance and in the script, I just I didn't get any sense of that character being in a sort of tragic situation. Like it it just didn't didn't land for me. Like I get what they were going for. And maybe Gilgamesh is the problem there because um, I think that before you know, and I guess you know, I, I'm aware that I think he's a big South he's a big South Korean movie star. Essentially, I, I hadn't heard of him, and he and he was he was not he was sort of fun and charismatic, and you know, in the action sequences he carried himself. But I think to then pair Jolie up with him as the emo, as the as that piece of her emotional story, I I just I, you know almost similarly with Madden and Chan. It, it, the, that, the, the dynamic between the two of them, it just didn't land. It didn't land. You know, they just mm. didn't have that. Uh, you know, they didn't have that connection as performers that 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 made me feel then how how he was sad for her, and then therefore how I would be sad for her. I didn't. That bit didn't work. I don't know. What wow, this is fascinating because I feel almost the exact opposite. Like I would say Same. that Nina <laughs> to me felt like the character with the most, the the clearest and mm. simplest pathos. Like, everybody else is having these big, you know, giant ethical debates, and her thing is so small and relatable, and it's about, mm. like, losing her identity. And I think a theme the movie introduces and then doesn't follow through in a way I wish it did, but in the, it's like the 1500s, I think, or maybe earlier, I can't remember, whenever she first gets her mad weary, and they're sort of debating what to do, and Ajax. Selma Hayek is like, well, we just have to erase your memories. And she's like, well, but I won't be myself if I don't have my memories. And Ajax is like, no, you're still yourself even without your memories. Like, you have this inherent soul or whatever. And I was mm. like, ooh, what an interesting debate. And then they just mm. kind of decide not to take her memories away, so it becomes moot. I think but why I, I struggled think that this... at that point, Caroline, was at that point in the in the flashbacks of the story, it still did feel like to me that most of those characters were stone-faced gods rather than people with personalities mm. so it's saying well you'll you'll lose everything about yourself and i'm like well well who is she at this point mm. i don't really know who she is and so i can i can kind of i can identify you know i can empathize with a character wanting to retain their resent you know wanting to retain their memories and who they are but as a as an audience member i'm like but i don't know what that is what you. i found so interesting about that moment i mean the first thing I noticed in the opening action scene, I was like, oh, they're like these weird, like super affectionate X-Men where they're like doing these team up battles. But then between everything, like being like, hey, you're great. I got you. And like mm-hmm. holding each other's <laughs> hands and sweet little things. So I bought into this idea of them as this immortal found family thing. And the idea of her becoming a liability, essentially like the Hulk of the team. Yeah. Um, where she can sort of flip at any moment. But the thing, you know, part of the Avengers is the Hulk is this major liability, but they keep him around because they need his power. And in that scene where they're in, you know, this sort of, I don't know, Incan temple debating whether or not to take her memories, and they say, like, we're going to keep her around and keep her as she is, not even out of a strategic necessity, but because we're invested in her. I do think there is something to that possibility you suggested that, um, Reese, that, uh, that Ma Dong Suk, Gilgamesh, like, is kind of the key to that. I'm not overly familiar with his, uh, history, although he gives a performance in the zombie film Train to Busan that has basically Ooh. completely, 
uh, like uh, endeared him to me. Mm. Playing honestly a very similar character to this one in a way <laughs> that we can get into, but just his saying like I will personally be responsible for her, and the sort of again this interpersonal dynamic of his saying like she is dangerous, but it is worth it. Mm. Uh, I found that really, really. I found that really interesting, and I, and I I sort of disagree, Joe, with the idea that her being the warrior. I, I had the same thing of like this is such a surprise. You know, usually you'd see her as the member of the party who's kind of like the emotional center, and to have her be the one who literally has lines like, "Yeah, I want to go fight more deviants," mm-hmm. you know, which is usually such a I don't know, sort of a one note big brawny guy character. Mm-hmm. I find that really rewarding to see her occupy that space, and then to be at the center of this sort of I mean, like... it's not it's not completely out of character for her you know she's she's done she's a know, fighter she's yeah. well she's done films like salt and mr and mrs smith and she's done the whole mm-hmm. action action movie star thing. lara croft tomb raider yeah to, lara croft the, tomb raider the cradle of life but i me, expected her to you? be yes i expected her to be the ajac of this yes, and to sort of yeah, see her yeah. play this other one mm-hmm. i found it to be a nice surprise and i just really, uh, yeah, I, I definitely was pro Thena. I found her character very interesting. Although, and I'll say this again about Druig, what they set <gasps> up in the first half, I felt didn't really go anywhere in the final act, and that was mm. too bad because I those were the characters whose sort of like mm. initial emotional questions I found the most interesting. Well, see, we have to talk about Druig. Reason I think the whole reason they introduced that talking deviant. <laughs> I think the whole reason they introduced that talking deviant is to give her the big moment where he's sort of like trying to manipulate her mind and you're fooled into thinking that she has lost her mind again and then she defeats him. Like, I actually think that they kind of wrote backwards to give her a moment, which is why they shoved in that weird deviant thing that didn't really fit because that is kind (laughs) of her big moment. It's like you think that she's given in to him, but she has actually retained her. But again, so that's another big moment that it just didn't play right for me because I was like, fuck yeah, she's just becoming. She's just re-embraced everything that is mm. that is kind of inherently bad about her. To, to you know, to to just mm. unquestioningly kill this thing that that is trying to live and evolve and and is is the same as her was created by her same creator and I and yeah, yeah but he killed Gilgamesh. Okay, and we should talk about Gilgamesh. Uh, and also, well, hold on. I was just gonna, I was gonna last maybe. Oh, well, I don't know if it's the last point, but on the on the Jolie bit of it, I think it's interesting that, as we say, perhaps you know, perhaps the movie has has got that little sliver of it constructed to give her the you know a cool a moment at the end. And I, I also think it's interesting that as the movie ends, you know, we can talk about we can talk about whether Icarus would be in a sequel or not. But you know, perhaps perhaps he's perhaps he wouldn't be. So that's Richard Mad now, Salma Hayek out. Like of these of these uh, actors, Jolie is you know sort of probably by far the biggest star going in, but we, you know with other names there. But uh, but she's also one of the, one of the surviving Eternals at the end. And so again, I wonder whether like let's let's sort of we want to give Jolie a you know an arc and a good experience on this film because we know she's going to stick around. We know we yeah, want I, her say, as I part of this group. Going she forward. was going to die because I was like. Mm. This this character doesn't feel like it has a future, hmm. but evidently, yeah. evidently they've got different plans. 
I yeah, Harry Styles does. is gonna yeah. fu- Harry Styles is gonna fuck Angelina Jolie, and I think we are all on a on a on a, on a desert planet, right? And I think <laughs> that's the sequel, and it's for half an hour in the middle of it, and that you know that's what the movie's gonna be, and there's nothing we can do about that. I'd be down with that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, let's talk about Gilgamesh, who has the strongest relationship with Dina. Um, so I, I I got the impression that this wasn't supposed to be romantic. Do you agree? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Which I liked about it. Yes. Um, what I didn't like about it was again coming back to like a key, a key character moment is Gilgamesh making the decision of I am going to you know I I am going to uh, kind of give up everything else and go and just basically devote my life to looking after Athena. I would have liked them to have any kind of relationship on screen before. That <laughs> yeah, moment. prior to that moment. Because it, it, we we don't see what leads up to that. Yeah, I think that a problem that this movie has, again, if we're thinking that it's like trying to be one and a half or maybe even two movies, is like there should. It almost feels like just more of this movie should be about their experiences in history, mm. and sort of just building up the dynamic that they've had over these seven thousand years. And I think. It is, it's admirable how much this movie doesn't center Western history in its vision mm. of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think that in on in principle, that's very cool, because that's not usually how time travel stories work. I think the downside of that for a Western audience, like myself, is that I'm just way more familiar with the markers of Western history. And so if I'm seeing the Eternals in ancient Rome, and then in, you know, Marie Antoinette's France, and then in... Queen Victoria's England, like, I am immediately connecting in my mind, these are the years they've spent together, these are the time jumps we're having, and sort of just, like, building that history in, in a way that I think when we're going from, like, 5,000 BC Mesopotamia to, like, 500 BC Babylon, my mind is not like, oh, they've been together for 4,000 years, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not immediately feeling the pull visually that would sort Mm. of be shorthand for how much their relationships has have changed and i think that this movie does really rely on a lot of you writing your own narrative in terms of what has happened to these people over the thousands and thousands and thousands of years they've been together and you do kind of have to i think to enjoy it you just kind of have to be willing to roll with whatever they tell you because the movie is not doing a ton of hand-holding with that backstory because it's trying to then do hand-holding with, like, the twists on right. the backstory that come in the second half. Yeah. It's interesting how, you know, if you, I think if, if, if the, those who have seen The Old Guard uh, and you watch this, you, you just can't help but compare them a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting, you know, that movie, to memory, doesn't do, doesn't basically doesn't do a single flashback. You are with those characters kind of in a linear sequence in the present day for, for the movie. And, and But what they do is they, they, of course, they do talk a lot about their history you know and their distant history but it i think it 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 does two things that lets you connect with them at the at the time of the movie's timeline in a way that the eternals sort of can slightly zip around and 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 also to your point it it doesn't it doesn't show you the the past to let you kind of then imagine the gaps in the past it just it just lets you kind of it just lets you sit with thinking about the, those characters the, in the old guard, those characters' yeah. entire histories. And Whereas, I mean, yeah, I think it's it's more ambitious and bold, or so it's more, it's maybe it's a riskier bet to be like, no, we're actually going to show you the Eternals in, you know, 5,000 years ago and 500 years ago and all, and all sorts. And, you know, I think this, especially in Eternals, the, 
the World War Two sequence. Is it World War Two? Right, right. Where mm-hmm. and, and Druig like that. That's that's of all of the of all of the bit of all of those flashbacks. That's probably the the riskiest, right? Because that that's you know that's recent enough and and obviously well covered, and so that that is a risk. That is a choice. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure that I would have preferred it to have gone the old guard route and to have them just talk about what had happened to them. I. I uh, but 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 it's an interesting. It is. I it's think interesting the, comparison. The, where the old guard works a lot a lot better for me is first of all it's a it is a smaller group of characters where the relationships yeah. between them you know you can spend more time defining them and it also just felt like in that movie the relationships between them were just really casually defined and it was all of this kind of un, like a lot of the time unspoken past between them and what they meant to each other mm. even if by this point they were kind of beaten down and world weary um i did i I, I, actually, I actually did feel like this movie spent a lot more time telling me stuff than it did mm. showing me or um or letting characters kind of explore ideas for themselves mm. it was oh we're gonna reveal a twist and then we're gonna and then we're gonna say what that means um anyway gilgamesh um <laughs> quite uh, quite a liked him when he was around sad when he died um can we can we talk briefly off of gilgamesh about <laughs> and we haven't mentioned this yet at all uh, the action sequences and the and i i kind of i kind of love actually the way that all 10 eternals's powers felt like they you know often played off each other within within the actions you know and there aren't that many like lengthy action sequences but you know of the few that there are I I kind of loved that, and it gave me a real kind of X Men comics I was just teenager say, reading I'm, I'm itch. I'm sat right? here giggling because I know James is sat there going, "Yeah, they were all like cut rate X Men." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah but, exactly. but, but James, did you you know in the in the action like devoid yeah, everything else? Yeah. Did you not as enjoy a, that in the sequences? As a lover of the superhero form, mm. that was something I enjoyed. I was like, good, "Oh, yes, good!" good. <laughs> Instead of doing the Avengers thing of everyone individually pairing off with a villain that is most like them, right? They were, you know, interacting, using their powers together. And I thought they all had really clearly defined powers as well, which is good mm-hmm. for good for a cast that big of characters who mm-hmm. aren't, you know, steeped in popular culture, like, mm-hmm. for example, the Hulk is. Yeah. Like, you could go and say, okay, she, you know, she's a speedster, she's the Flash Quicks or whatever, that's your Wonder Woman archetype, there's a Superman, like... It made sense. Like, mm-hmm. it did, it did in a way contribute to them feeling like knockoffs but visually speaking i got who everyone was and i enjoyed watching them use their powers yeah cool has anyone seen train to busan besides me on this on this yeah i have podcast yeah yeah it just felt to me gilgamesh's powers i just feel like this has to have been a reference that what ma dong suk does in train to busan he's this you know sort of like tough but He's a little bit more on the tough and a little bit less on the avuncular, but he's this man married to a pregnant woman, and what he does in the movie is wrap his forearms and fists in yellow packing tape <laughs> so that he can't be bit by zombies, and then just goes around like delivering these like skull-cracking punches to zombies. So the fact that in this movie they gave him essentially 
like the same power but instead of packing tape it's like it's like yeah i was just like am i crazy is this a thing on purpose did they did they just think like who could do this oh let's get the guy who did that i think he used to be a boxer that would make sense i don't know if professionally but like that he has a background in boxing i love that yeah i I found yeah yeah. good no please i think gilgamesh works in that he's not he works as like you get his deal He's going to die, and that's going to serve a plot. And I think that's to yeah. the movie's credit that they don't try to have him do too much in a movie that's very overcrowded. He was actually the character where the comedy didn't work for me. Like, they kind of tried to use him as a secondary comedic figure, and I didn't really like any of those jokes. He, like, holds a pie, and the pie drops. Oh, and I love he... that little sad pie oh. drop, and then him, like, <laughs> crushing the cast iron skillet. Oh, Caroline, that was great! <laughs> and they give him the jokes about, like, oh, the mead that I made with my spit, mm. and then they have Sprite turn him into, or put him in a onesie. I will say, all that being said, 99% of that comedy didn't work for me. But his delivery of, oh, I'm a baby, when he laughs so hard. He doesn't even say it like he's annoyed. He's just like, oh, I'm a baby. <laughs> and it's so funny. I think what okay. Caroline's trying to say there, though, is uh, we don't need to discuss Gilgamesh anymore. And instead, we should move on to Ajak, uh, played by Salma Hayek, who is the, um, mm. the, 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 the wise leader of the Eternals, the person who um, communes with Arishem. And she knows the plan all along. Um, as she reveals it to Icarus um, when the team is splitting up. And then she has a change of heart late in the day, which causes Icarus to kill her. And her change of heart is basically there's something special about these humans. And the thing that convinces her is that they were able to overcome Thanos' attack. Can I also just worst, say she has worst. it very late in the day? She's like, oh, it's going to happen yeah. in seven days. I've changed my mind. I was yes. like, girl, you've got, you've had 7,000 years to think about this. <laughs> Don't leave it to the last minute. I just that, thought this was... Is, is it a miscast? Is it is it underwritten? Is it structurally that it hurts her? But for me, this was probably the 10. The, the, the kind of the biggest gulf for me of... Of, I don't know what I what I thought the movie wanted me to think and feel about yeah. this about this performance and what I actually did. I, you know, I just I, I, I just I would disappointing agree bad. Yeah, I, no. She she gets the least to do because she's not around in the modern day version of the story. She's just there mm-hmm. in the flashbacks, and um, yeah, I kind of it was the it was it was the performance of all of them that I felt worked the least for me. Mm. Okay, well, guess what? Again, I strongly disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Love Selma Hayek in this. I thought, I mean, I was bummed out when she was taken out of the movie. Uh, to, to, to touch briefly on that plotting decision that it was tying it into the blip and Thanos, uh, I thought that that was, I mean, it was sort of fun as a tie into the MCU. I liked the references to MCU things, but that didn't so much work for the character. But I just thought her as the leader, again, it was this little bit of felt like trope subversion. Where, you know, with the whole group, instead of this being a series of, like, hardened, bitter, world-weary soldiers, they were, like, all so tender with each other. And having that all sort of clearly come out from Ajak, who, as the, like, commander of the group, is so, like, sweet and... and Maternal. Maternal. There's this shot when, um, when, uh... 
Icarus and Cersei are getting married, and it sort of cuts to they're getting married in India, you know, two thousand years ago, and it cuts to a group of all the Eternals like watching, and she just gives this very sweet sigh. I, I was totally sold on that. Maybe it is right taking her out of the movie because there wasn't much more. There wasn't much more to do with that character well, but for uh, me it was working but then the the, the the one thing for me that is interesting about that character is she's got this knowledge that none of the rest of them has and mm-hmm. she can have that relationship with all of them and can feel maternal and protective but she's actively lying to all of the rest of them and the movie doesn't it just gives her an out with a oh i've changed my mind again there's no grappling with did did Ajax do the right thing? Had uh, you know, mm-hmm. were, like beyond whether that was her mission, that's what she was sent to do, and that's what she's executing. Like, surely the most important thing is she she kept that from all of the others to the point that she was willing to wipe Thena's memories and mm. and I, and I, I again that felt like something that just the movie did not have time to grapple with. Yeah, yeah, as you're you're saying that, I think, yeah, that that is, those are all very, very valid criticisms. I was going to say almost the opposite of you, Ned, in that I wish she had more screen time. Like, I feel like she Mm -hmm. is a character I would have loved to explore more. I, again, like my, (laughs) I just want to restructure this movie. Like, I just want Mm. to get in there and like, move things around. I think, so the way this movie, it opens in 5000 BC Babylon, and we like meet the Eternals. And it, it's a confusing mix of it seems like they are all meeting each other for the first time. And yet it also seems like they already know each other. I think that that's a, a real point of confusion. Because you have a, I laughed out loud when you just have Cersei and Icarus looking out. And she's like, it's beautiful. And he goes, I'm Icarus. And I was like, what the hell? Like, a, who would just say their name? Like, like, what is happening? And then B, it's just, and then, but then on the beach on the beach in the fight scene that immediately follows Ajax heals Icarus and he's like thank you so much Ajax and I'm like so do you know each other like what's happening the way I would have done it is I would have opened with the sequence where they're in Babylon which is the sequence mostly that's like the hangout sequence of the of the flashbacks it's sort of like Sprite's doing her little you know moving pictures and telling stories and you get like comedy with Makari and theft and you know it's just mostly them hanging out I I would have opened this movie with like group hangout with a little bit of fighting but mostly just understanding how they work as a group and I actually would have saved that opening Mesopotamia flashback for when Cersei tells Dane <laughs> her boyfriend oh. about them coming to earth like I would have I get why they wanted to make the the flashbacks chronological but i actually feel like grounding the eternals as a group that all knows each other with ajak and like understanding how she works as a leader would have been a very helpful opening for this movie and then we could have been like oh and this is how it was when they first met and then this is how it was when they were later in their timelines but i think it's ajak's role as leader doesn't really become clear until late enough in the movie mm. and she's almost gone by that and point so you don't quite have a lot to hold on to crawl as well as like about until this mission where uh, until this mission mm-hmm. that their leader ajak was sent on and i was like oh okay so what's so what's that what am i about to see and then i didn't see it and i was like oh so is so is that is that just the entire earth mission then and I, yeah. that that, that yeah. opening crawl actively confused like i think it confused me for the first half hour more than it provided me with information mm-hmm. 
I agree. After that opening fight scene, I was like, hmm, what was the different part? Isn't that – that looks pretty standard mm. for them. And it, yeah, only later on was I like, oh, it was the whole 7,000-year-long mission that was supposed to have gone mm-hmm. differently. But that was a – yeah, but, thumbs down on the opening And that crawl. was in the final sentence of the opening crawl, so Ned saw it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Just that – that was all I got. Yeah. The, you know, the mission changed everything. James, Where they're from, I couldn't tell you. James Ajak, <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, I thought she, I thought she was a bit nothingy. Really, they they positioned her as like like you say the maternal character in the in the team. I think it would have been more interesting for her to have revealed the the truth about their mission to everyone, and then watched the watch the entire team sort of split from that realization instead of sort of gradually coming to it in fits and starts yeah i um, wonder i wonder again if you're doing a punch up does it, it is the thing that splits them up the reveal of the true mission and then they spend 500 years yeah. grappling with what they're going to do yeah quite yeah, and likewise <laughs> the thing the thing that really shows icarus as irredeemable would have been him killing her because then you would have been like oh he killed their mother no wonder they feel like they can't work with him. No wonder he feels the guilt that makes him leave the planet at the end. But the order it comes in, he he leaves the planet when he's like, "Well, I guess I guess all this has failed, so I'm off." Okay, so um, next one. Uh, I, I guess we've mostly talked about Kingo already. I, I want to go on the record that I think it's. I, I find Kamel Nanjiani generally charming. I thought he was charming here. I, I can see him fitting into the MCU well, um, but I think we should use this opportunity, given we've mostly talked about him already, to talk about the presence of Hiresh Patel as Karen, his valet. Yes, great. <laughs> Excellent, yeah. No! <laughs> what are you talking no? about? Are you mad? Oh, this is a fun conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he, he, well, for me, he was the, he, he was the sort of, he was the most out of the general tone of this movie of, of all the characters uh and and or if already the kingo jokes didn't really work for me then the, the the karen jokes were further afield for that and they were there was no you know all that stuff about oh he's got another oh he's got another camera from in back ha, 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 ha. I, just, I just i just I thought... it just wasn't this movie for me that 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 those jokes were were in a different film and so they felt they felt really i thought that character was charming and humble and generous and just every time he was in a shot it was he was giving a great performance like there are plenty of people in the cast who could have learned from the amount of charisma (laughs) that guy was bringing with near zero material to work with like the bit at the end where kingo leaves and he sort of you know you you sense the divided loyalty of well i have to go with my like master but I really wish I could stay and save the world with you guys. And he like thanks them for what they're doing and stuff. I thought that, that was the I one thought... part of the film where I was like, finally, some emotional truth. <laughs> I did think that moment was absolutely yeah. lovely. And it's I thought brilliant. it was nice to have that humor. And I think, you know, I would, I, I would much rather have a movie with, with this kind of humanist tone where you have that kind of character than his equivalent in the Suicide Squad, which we saw earlier this year, where, where it's like, Who's this guy? What's his name for this guy that's that's come along for the ride? Oh, he's yeah, dead that's now. Right. 
<laughs> and at least totally right. thought of the Suicide Squad yes. comparison, yeah. where, where where I it, 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 like and and it just really hits the. That's just one facet of both those movies that hits the nail on the head. That the cynicism of the Suicide Squad and the way in which it was so deeply disinterested in who was being saved. Whereas this movie, I think, tried and to a, to a large extent succeeded in being really interested in humanity as a whole and saving it and to have just a human with them and him be this sort of like flawed opportunistic but like sweet and like ultimately wise little bumbling camera guy was it totally worked for me and i thought his line deliveries were super funny too i liked i think vampire gag as well that he tried (laughs) like part of the problem for me was that they were trying to they were talking so often about how you know they loved humanity and they wanted to save humanity, but the the only way that was represented, yeah. at least on Cersei's end, was here's Kit Harrington for ten minutes at the start of the film. <laughs> hey, that feels like a uh, a transition, James. Kit Harrington <laughs> as Dane Whitman, uh, who the whole <laughs> the way through I was, I was I was thinking of um, Dick Whitman from Mad Men. Uh, <laughs> um, so. Um, he works at the Natural History Museum in London, where apparently they... As a teacher, where they te- apparently. Where they teach, <laughs> I, I guess. Um, <laughs> he's dating Cersei at the start of the movie. Um, Sorry, uh, quick, just while we're on the museum point. Mm-hmm. Why would they be showing a human-made <laughs> dagger at the Museum of Natural History? <laughs> that is 100... I know I don't work there anymore. That is a British museum artifact through and through. <laughs> the Natural History Museum would be like, this is the wrong wrong coast for that. Um, listen, James, they got the rights to film there, and uh, that is where it happened. And they have a school there, and it's fine. Um, yeah, I, 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 I've been on the record a lot of times in the past. I think Kit Harrington's a a bad actor. I think he's bad in Game of Thrones universally, but he is undeniably a, a cutie, and um, <laughs> and I kind of sure. and, and and I do think that the, the movie where it struggles with the the kind of love triangle is that he is in, <laughs> he's introduced as the as the current partner of. Cersei at the start of the movie and so we are kind of with him in that regard and and I think the movie needs us to be because long term he is the he is the love interest in sequels etc but in this movie the relationship that matters more is the Icarus one and in the history of the, those two characters the relationship that matters more is the Icarus one and um, it, it it kind of, I kind of think it throws that whole dynamic off balance, and it's it's one of those problems that the MCU, you know, butts into regularly, where they sometimes make decisions that are, that make sense for the future of their franchise more than make sense for the actual movie that you're mm. watching. This is probably the most I've ever liked Kit Harrington. I I agree. Oh, I never really liked yeah. him on Game of Thrones. I actually, this was the first movie where I was like, oh, he is cute. Like, I really didn't. I just don't. I did. There was nothing about him on Game of Thrones that I enjoyed. You, but this um, movie, I was like, wait, you're like a cute, nice guy. Have like, you seen, this is great. Have you seen Pompeii? The Paul, Paul no. Anderson movie. Mm. I mean, it's it's not good, but Kit Harrington, it looks like he's been sculpted out of clay. Um. <laughs> See, I think it was specifically him being in modern day that made him feel way more accessible to me than. He's got a bit, Game of, Thrones got ever a bit did. of a poofy haircut as well. 
Mm-hmm. That being said, I think this is the character you save for the sequel. I think there's he has no, he has nothing to do in here. <laughs> there's no point to him. He's just a confusing element in a movie that is introducing an entire mm. new galactic world and ten lead characters. We don't yeah. need freaking get to know Cersei's boyfriend time. Like, cut this out. Save him. Don't like him. Other than the suggestion that, like, I guess in the end, the suggestion is that Kit Harrington is the better version of Richard Madden, but at the beginning, it seemed like the movie was suggesting Richard Madden was the better version of Kit Harrington, which is how I've always personally felt, and I did really laugh at that setup. I had such I trouble did... telling those actors apart, even though. Yeah, fair. <laughs> I was like, yeah. she's, she has clearly, a type. she's clearly she has got a type. She really yeah. does. Uh, Game of Thrones alums. She does. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like that they I like that very quickly with him that they they had him not just puncture like the question of is she is she is Cersei a you know sort of a superhero in the MCU but also like she just tell you know they just she's quite she's quite clear with him pretty quick of of what she is what they are yeah. I quite like that I was I, I was at the, very, at the very beginning and I think with the trailers too I was I was not not looking forward to some kind of protracted secret identity boring bullshit thing between those two characters but they they move past that really quick totally. um and i also i i don't know if we want to talk about yeah we did now you know the, the post credits bit yeah that's for me the key character of it all it, it, the the key bit of that or, or, or what colors all of that is the is that post credit sequence yeah you know, him in the movie is sort of you know not a whole not a whole lot i would just say quickly i what i did like early on was he is. He does feel like the most normal guy in the movie, even more so than Karen, because he's not. Mm. He's not doing a comedy bit. He's just a bloke, but also a bloke who in who makes sense in the MCU world, um, where right. he's like, yeah, I've been living around these people who are a bit odd, and. Because I live in this world where there are superheroes and wizards and, and aliens and all this stuff, like I'm, I can, I can willingly question: Are you, are you a superhero? Are um, you a wizard? Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. So I, I did like I that world that. building. Yeah, I like that they're acknowledging because it is sort of irritating to me when you get into a movie like this mm. when someone you, you get this deep in a franchise, mm-hmm. and I don't know, you know, like. Like Shang Chi, it's like, what you have this? You have these kung fu skills? Like, what is that? And it's like, well, <laughs> have you seen the number of like yeah. super powered combat of all wizards people that people exist just in our world? Got dusted last year and then reappeared because of uh, you know a, a Norse god and a World War Two hero <laughs> and a guy in a robot suit. Exactly. This, shit, this so, world is kind of crazy. It is. It is satisfying to be like in this post superhero world where it's like, mm. oh yeah, I, I'm assuming that the weirdness with the <laughs> water changing into coffee is because you yeah. have superpowers. So yes. lay it on me. Um, the post credit scene, um, I thought was a, a, a weird mess. <laughs> that uh, first yeah. of all, I thought it was really weird that he just at the end of the movie says oh it turns out i might have a more complicated family history okay so you've lost you've lost the every the every man stuff here Mm um wild convenience that you are there isn't any sense of oh well we're hanging out we're chatting to each other because we know it you know because i'm you've been drawn to me because i'm special too um 
you know, when he was cast, they announced who he was playing. I was stunned that we didn't see him in his Black Knight guise in this movie. That's mm. just who I thought he'd be playing. So when we get to the post-credits and it's a tease of, you're gonna be this character um, that's been dropped in right in, you know, weirdly in the last scene, as Caroline said earlier, with a really weird cliffhanger as well, where yeah. the entire world has presumably seen a celestial hover over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um... And then, yeah, he's looking at a sword, which kind of whispers at him, and then a voice speaks to him, who I was like, I I don't know who that is, and I googled it, and I was like, it's fucking Blade! Fucking what? Blade, dude. <laughs> Why is it Blade? Oh, is that who that <laughs> was? That's the Blade, Blade. 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 You just you I can't possibly know that. If he had no, turned around no, and seen you Blade, know? you would have gone, oh, okay, that makes sense. But as it is, they clearly haven't decided on a look for Blade, so they went, like? oh, we'll just give him a voiceover. So it made it. no yeah. sense. So don't do but are we, it. Are we supposed to think the thing that is, right, the, the Blade's in the room with him? The thing is, yeah, the Ebony Blade in the comics is like uh, a sword which is uh, demonic and talks to the person who has it. So I thought it was the sword talking to him. Mm. Just doesn't make any sense. I think it's bizarre to take a movie that's very purposefully like, we want to be a, a super diverse group of heroes and sort of overtly a group of heroes who are like feminine more so than mm. traditionally masculine. And we are going to end both the final shot of this movie and the post credit scene mm. with, like, freaking boring, white, straight white guy that, yeah. like, the MCU has given us 20 times over. It's like, why mm. is he the last shot of the movie? I, like, almost found that borderline offensive. Like, literally the end of this movie is, like, Dane Whitman looking at the sky. And I'm like, who the hell is Dane Whitman? You're not, like, you're not a character in this movie. Why are you getting this big, massive next shot setting you up for, like... Ooh, and your future adventures. Like, I don't know. Are they trying to have their cake their cake and eat it too, right? Which is Yeah. Let's have a movie that actually is very diverse and female led, but but people, you know, audiences start and leave the movie with the generic Game of Thrones white mm-hmm. facial haired man yeah. character, right? Like you know, do do this in a Disney Plus show. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still feel like they might. Like, I'm. I'm no, not yeah, but, convinced. But I, mean, this isn't... I mean, kind of give him the. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Set set him up in that give as well. Him yeah. The uh, one division. Um, what's a face? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it was <laughs> funny. Face, no, Agnes. Monica. Agnes. Monica you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't think it was funny that while they're off saving the world, he was presumably having his own origin story in the background. <laughs> I think he's just hanging around Camden coffee shops, to be honest. <laughs> there is, to be fair, there is that one seeded line, mild line about reconnect with your uncle, right? Like that, that clearly mm-hmm. is. And she gives him that ring with the family crest. Yeah, sure. so I, that, yeah. that's, I, I do feel like we probably you know. will get a Black Knight Disney Plus series, to be honest. But mm-hmm. um, it's just that a movie that is setting up a brand new world and ten main characters. Yes. Yeah. You cannot <laughs> emphasize this enough. There are ten leading characters in this film. You do not need an eleventh character that's no. Dane Whitman for like four movies from now. He'll have his own movie. Like this is <laughs> this is Thor going to the cave all over again. We don't yeah, need yeah. to cut it out. This is for absolutely no one. Okay. Also, what's, what's so funny is that, as you say, Caroline, the movie ends with camera on Dane Whitman looking up at the sky. Where's my girlfriend gone? Oh, question mark. Harry Styles credit sequence. And then at the very end, okay, we're back to Dane Whitman. I guess he, he'll reference, you know, 
the fact that uh, his <laughs> Gemma Chan, Attendant's girlfriend, has disappeared in the sky. Like, no, it's like it, it's completely unconnected from that. And he's just looking at a sword in a box. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, there wasn't kind of a line in that of, of some connective tissue. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, uh, let's Funny. move on to Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos, um, the uh, the first superhero uh, to be depicted as gay in an MCU film, which uh, is significant, I think. Um, Brian Tyree Henry, an actor I like a lot. Uh, Fastos kind of is the character who he's not really there until the until mm-hmm. the, the back third of the movie and. Um, again, another character that I feel could have benefited from being around for longer. Um, I'm glad that he's one of the characters that makes it out of this to appear in a sequel because mm. I think Brian Tyree Henry's really talented and could be and could be good in this. I just didn't really feel like there was enough there. Although I did appreciate that his relationship was. Um, it was dep- I, I I thought they did it. I thought they actually handled it pretty well, and I've been pretty critical of the way that Marvel and Disney, particularly, have been, you know, kind of doing this representation by nods and winks. Um, yeah. And I thought actually showing him in a in a you know committed long term relationship with a kid and 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 then actually show that moment of physical affection was good <laughs> because that does yeah, and... it does feel notable in in mcu movies where moments of physical affection are, are few and far between mm-hmm. yeah that's true and and using that as as the member of the eternals who instead of as opposed to Gemma chan sort of will they won't they with a with a human he's like i'm fully invested i have a human family and using that as that um that aspect Ooh. of representation did feel better than their normal self-congratulatory like <laughs> Mm-hmm. Not in a way. I mean, I was kind of missing a moment. I felt like, to me, the swing of an Eternal deciding to settle down, get married, and have a kid is so massive, mm-hmm. right? Like that's like essentially like the Doctor from Doctor Who being like, oh, "I'm just going to get married and have a kid." Like you're so dramatically changing your entire existence, and you're sort of knowing like I'm going to love these people who will who I will just watch die in what is very quickly in my lifespan. Like that is mm-hmm. there could be a whole movie just about that decision. And the fact that it was kind of just the decision he had made off screen, I found sort of strange. Like, I like it. I think it's really cool to have a character make that decision. But it just feels like that is such a big decision to make in a world where you have Cersei being like, I don't even know if I want to date Dane, really, because, you know, Sprite's like, he's going to die soon from your perspective. Yeah, well, they make make the point as well, don't they? With Sprite, they say, like, oh, we can't stay anywhere for too long because people know she won't grow up. And it's like, yeah, but they'll... They notice you won't grow old too, right? Like it's not right, it's not exclusively right. a kid problem. I guess it's for a kid. It's five years, maybe for them. It's, it's mm-hmm. 10, 20. yeah, ten twenty. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. Uh, it is there is definitely some beats have to change between Festos witnessing Hiroshima and saying humans are not worth saving. <laughs> To being like, <laughs> they're still maybe not worth saving as a species, but actually I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. There's, there's, mm-hmm. There are this beats in there. <laughs> but I oh, do think, sure. yeah, exactly. But, you know, I think I might not be having the problem that some of us are having with, like, certain things being shorthanded. You know, like 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 the idea of, like, why does Gilgamesh care for Athena? I'm like, okay, he does because they have a bond that's off screen. This would be one that mm-hmm. I felt similarly... Although I I don't know I I also like Brian Tyree Henry I'd say I liked him here I didn't love him I thought it was it was all right 
But it's all about that shorthand stuff. It, it, I think is so much or so often and much about performance. Mm-hmm. It's about do you, you know, uh, Brian Tyree Henry or apologies, what's the what's the actor who plays um, Gilgamesh? His name? Uh, Ma Dong Suk. Ma Dong Suk. It's about like just those moments when you're in the theatre and do you, uh, you know, do are you emotionally connecting with with what they are, you know, what they are performing, and and so it's not. It's it's a personal thing. It's a subjective thing. It's sort of it's okay if 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 some people don't connect with one character or, or with the other. You know, Brian Tyree Henry. I I'm with you, uh, Ned. I was I kind of I didn't need that. I didn't need that connective tissue necessarily. Even though it feel it fe- that feels vast. That journey feels vast. But but the performance just just connected with me. Just sold me on that. And and, that, and then and all of a sudden, what you know, once that once that once that bridge is is complete in your in, in the audience's head, it's done, and you, and you can move on to the next to the next story beat because it's because the performance is is done the the, the tricky bit for you. I really have to say, in a movie of uneven uh, writing and direction, like the the scene of him crying in the ruins of Hiroshima over what he has wrought was a new level of cringeworthy that I don't think I've ever experienced in a Marvel I, movie. I thought that that scene from its very conception was incredibly crass. I just, I can't, mm. I genuinely could not believe they put it in the movie. It didn't stand out to me. I have to say maybe because I'm, I really like the Wolverine, which like half of that movie is <laughs> literally set during the bombing itself. So it didn't feel Ooh. to me like, Oh, this is something that is like, I've never seen this sort of thing in a, I, I think the difference is the, like Wolverine, the, Wolverine the Wolverine treats it with some, you know, decency. I think it shows the effects of it. It doesn't shy away from the reality mm-hmm. of what happened. Whereas here it it's like... with it over the full yeah, movie. Here it's shorthand for like, oh, a lot of people died and this guy's sad. Like, it, it exists purely... They're just literally fodder for his story. Like, I think... Yeah. Yeah, Crass is right. Yeah. If it had I been think... like, you know, over the 20th century, like he grew less and less and yeah. it was kind of more implied. But yeah, literally having him like go out to Hiroshima for some reason. Yeah, and to stand. To cry. Like yeah. you could have easily done that scene and said like, you know, we just had two world wars. I'm responsible for all this death. Like yeah. for me, if you're going to do that moment, World War One feels like the moment because that's when, you know, warfare became mechanized famously. Yeah, it's the, but that's where the Industrial Revolution. That's where the, where the Industrial Revolution meets warfare right i know but american like american people don't know that world war what it is they don't we don't know what world war one is like i can't emphasize you enough the difference between american and (laughs) british perspective on the two wars like america only thinks world war ii happened (laughs) you know it's it's got a two on the end of it right (laughs) (laughs) i I presume that fastos had maybe it's just me i presume that fastos had worked on the manhattan project is that, is that just me? I I I, I think right? it's vague. Like, yeah, I thought it was okay. vague, vague because yeah. the whole the whole thing with that character was he wants to become more involved, but he keeps hmm. he yeah keeps he wants to push it. people forward, but he he hangs back and, and then I just thought it was the really, the movie again has time to dig into that yeah. that internal conflict. But it was the costuming the costuming of him the in costume. that scene, right? Yeah. The bow tie, yeah. mm-hmm. glasses, the jacket, like just in those small choices. I felt like Chloe. I was trying to suggest in my head that you know he he you know he, he had found himself uh, you know a post post eternal super team you know 
doing the technological, doing using his powers within the human community, and yeah, that's where it ended up. Vague about it. I just yeah, yeah, but, like, but likewise, at what point? At what point in building the atomic bomb do you go? Well, actually, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Like after it's used. Yeah. But that's but that but that that's an interest. That's an interesting thing to think about, right? And I think I believe Chris, Mr. Christopher Nolan is going to be making a film about just that mm-hmm. very point. Yeah, but right, I look forward to not seeing. And I guess this is why <laughs> would would you. Would you make a movie where you imply you you know a superhero a fantasy movie where you implied someone was maybe involved with the Nazis at the death camps? You yeah, just... I mean the X Men franchise again did that quite a no, bit. No, but, but they didn't. didn't but they didn't make Magneto a Nazi. Yeah. They made him a victim. No, but the they Nazis. made Kevin Bacon a. Yeah, yeah but vil- he was the, the villain. villain. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah, it's yeah. not the same thing. Yeah, no, I think you wouldn't. No, I I, I take your point. Though. I just, I yeah, it, it feels like, and and especially you know. I know that this is a more diverse movie than we normally get, and um, and and Chloe Zhao is a non-white director, but there isn't any there isn't any Japanese representation there in that scene. Ooh. I just I, yeah, it really really rubbed me up the wrong way. They all got vaporized. Their scene before. Yeah, I, I mean, when... well, it's a point that no, they didn't. You know, not further out, but yeah, yeah quite yeah, tricky stuff. I think with Fastos, now I hadn't thought about this at the time because I do think for the most part I was like, oh yeah, Brian Tyree Henry's really fun to watch, so I just enjoy him being in this movie. I actually think a lot of the structural problems with the third act battle are they're trying to give Fastos's weird undefined mm. technology powers something to do. Yeah. And I actually mm. think that's a hindrance because mm. they have to have the him be brain. like, I'm making these bracelets and giving this and connecting this and connecting this. And it, the movie has been so... I don't know, almost like spiritual and how their powers are used, mm. that having to stop it all for this clunky exposition that it doesn't make sense anyway, I think is a hindrance. And part of the reason he doesn't really pop till the end is because in the early fight scenes, like it's unclear what his role even is in that. He mainly right. just stays on the ship and like dreams up inventions. Yeah. But I think his powers were too vague for how much this movie needed to shorthand what each Eternal was and like what their power was and how that led into their character he's basically he's basically forge in the first half of the movie and then green lantern in the second half right (laughs) (laughs) not bad good analogy yeah okay Uh, and that's confusing i do need to keep us moving on because i made a rod for my own back here and we do need to cover all the characters (laughs) so let's go and we're halfway through (laughs) yeah let's go with makari now uh who is an eternal with super speed uh she's the first death superhero in the mcu and i just need to share this with you lauren ridloff who plays this character is 43 years old (laughs) Shut that up. Is, that, <laughs> that is that was my reaction when I learned. I, I mean, and, and I wow. have seen her. In a, you know, she was in Sound of Metal last year, and she was on The Walking Dead, which I I, I saw a bit of her in. Um, and I and I thought she played close to, but here I was like, who is this twenty-two-year-old actress? Truly, <laughs> um, wow. I, I thought she was really charming, um, and I'm glad mm-hmm. I'm glad she's sticking around, and I liked her whole vibe of i just want to discover and i uh, and she felt like the most human of the eternals i thought where i was just like oh i want to hang around i want to hang around with her because she's quite playful i think but Mm -hmm. for me like great great performance no arc just nothing 
And I think that is totally fine in an ensemble of 10 superheroes to have someone like Makari who is just like, okay, what is her deal? She, she's playful. She wants to discover. She's got this thing with Druig. She, I, I kind of, I kind of always know where she's going to be, what she's going to do from a powers perspective and from like the group energy Ooh. perspective. She just changes up the visual language in the action scenes as well as like just sign in cool. It's sign in film, I think is extremely cool. So yeah, I think having her have no arc, I'm like, yeah, that's totally fine. Like get into her in number two. I, I, yeah, I think, I think poor, maybe a poor decision to take, take a character who's already quite marginalized due to their inability to talk and hear and not give them a story. True. I I did think the action sequence at the end where she fights Icarus was the best part of the entire film. I loved that. Hmm. But I think I think it would have been nice to have given her a story as well. I, I agree. Better, more, a lot more the performance than also the character. But hopefully, we see more of that in the future. Um, li- there was a cool. Uh, sorry, small point. I thought that they they did a quite. A, I, I I remember thinking in the in the sequences where she's using it, you know, where she's using superpower. They it looked different and it felt different to Quicksilver or to the Flash TV show. It felt kind of. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it felt it felt like the next evolution of uh, of super speed on film, and maybe that's too maybe that's too uh, ambitious a, a bit of language. But there's just something about it that I, I I thought looked really looked fresh enough and cool. I don't know if you guys I don't know if you guys agree. Uh, I thought it looked fine. I thought it looked. I think like... it was the way the camera moved with her, the the camera, the camera, the kind of point of view camera was moving with her yeah. as she moved in super speed around the scenes. Yeah, it did look um, like its own thing. I just don't think I walked away from it being like, oh wow. Sure. Can I raise a I'm point sure. that will allow us to transition into our much anticipated druid conversation, which is that we can't let you do that. <laughs> I'm edging Reese. Um, we need to, <laughs> we need to move on to Sprite. So yeah, save your save your Druid point for later. Um, Great, we'll do. Uh, oh, you're killing me! You're killing me! Uh, Sprite played by Liam McHugh. Uh, so uh, this is the, the, she has an exchange with uh, Kamel Nanjiani in the middle of the movie where he's like, you know, Peter Pan, and I'm like, oh yeah, she does look just like Peter Pan. He's like, well, you're like, yeah. well, you're like Tinkerbell. <laughs> what? Same. same. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, Kamel says to her, even though nothing has got this across earlier in the movie, you've, you've always been in love with Icarus. And then that that motivates a character decision in the third act that doesn't really track with any... Like, you, you, you feel like her connection to Cersei is a lot stronger. I was, I was so sure that was a fake-out. And then I and then I wasn't sure whether so she looks like a a teenage girl and I was like so she's probably not going to be around in the sequel because if you're saying this teenage girl doesn't age I'm going to bring it up again I've seen Lost um, <laughs> Walt got hella old and it was a problem um, and I was I was, I was like well we're probably not going to see her but no she like she doesn't die she is just in a very clunky piece of exposition at the end. Oh, I've retained enough power that I can make you human now, Sprite. Do you want that? Yes, please. <laughs> that would be convenient yeah. for the sequel. Um, and I, I liked the performance here. I thought the I thought Leah, Leah McHugh was uh, was solid. I 
thought that 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 kind of internal conflict that she gets to voice to Cersei towards the end of you've all got to live amongst these people. I haven't been afforded that luxury. Um, I I thought that that was that was stuff that I would have liked the movie to have dealt with, but instead it throws her this. Oh, she's got a crush on Icarus because I guess at the end of the movie it can't just be Icarus; it needs to be someone else as well. But there's also I, there's also that gorgeous line earlier in the film that it's it, it says so much with so little, which is uh, I think she says like, "Why did Arishan make me like this? You know, what, what, why, why did he make me like I am?" I just felt I just really felt that line. I felt like that you know you could read that in multiple different ways uh and almost that single line in the film made the character that character worthwhile for for me at least i, I really i really lo- i really loved that uh, you know and, and i guess <laughs> that's countered by you know by the kind of <laughs> by the end result which is like oh don't worry the uh the, the uh, this other character can sort of make you who you want to be yeah. now click done so, so fair enough. The, the, the subtext of all of that is is complicated, but um, yeah, I, I I just felt I just I felt that I felt quite raw and simple and and human. Uh, you know, a character fighting against uh, fighting against their creator and what the creator had created them to be, and I they do, didn't feel like that. I, I connected with that. I do think she got the most interesting character work and probably the closest to an actual story in the film as well. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know speaks to the what a low bar it was. <laughs> James swinging in with some more faint praise. Yes. <laughs> our, list, our listeners probably have forgotten that James really think, thought this movie was stinky. So I mean, genuinely, right? Genuinely, I haven't disagreed with pretty much anything that's been said. I'm just I'm amazed that you, in agreeing, <laughs> we all have very similar interpretations. It's just that I'm the only one who seemed to think that was all bad. <laughs> <laughs> well here James I can I can I can join your side for a moment because I actually thought so all the Eternals I either liked them or I was neutral on them except for Sprite I hated Sprite I feel like she should not be in this movie I thought she was a drag every time she was on screen I thought the character didn't work I don't really think the performance quite works because it's I don't know it's almost I was like maybe she should have been younger like maybe it should have been like Kirsten Dunst in um like literally yeah. a child oh. and it feels more incongruous because there was something yeah. about how old she was playing her that wasn't quite getting that tragedy across I the mm. the moment King goes mm. like you're in love with Icarus I was like what like <laughs> nothing in this movie has led me to that I think this movie has too many characters and in addition to Saving Dane Whitman for the sequel, I think. Sorry, Sprite. Gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) She is very bratty for a teenager. But she's a fighter. That's the thing that I couldn't reconcile about her. Is she an adult that is stuck in a teenager's body, or is she a teenager? Yeah, like at the end when they make her go to school, I was like, what the hell? That is so (laughs) cool. She does not need to go to school. Talk about another Twilight thing. She's going to go to school and be a teenager to fall in love. And I'm like, but you are 7,000 years old. (laughs) So that's whack. Yeah. Yeah, But that, 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 you know, not to, the movie doesn't do this at all, but that's like, that's that, the movie is sort of talking about that conflict perhaps between the physiological evolution, you know, aging, versus 
uh, you know, versus sort of to the contextual stagnation. People. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it, like I could see, like it probably would have like half a scene, and you could have you could have had the sprite character speak to some of the other themes of the movie, but they they just you know the movie's 157 minutes. To Joe's point, it should be sent to a federal uh, you know federal prison. <laughs> so you know, like it sort of it doesn't it it, it can't it can't support more. But uh, in a way. That maybe that character needed something. Listen, needed a more, I'm, I'm you know. acutely aware that this podcast is approaching the 157 <laughs> point, so I do want to move us. <laughs> hang on, I've got two very quick points I want to make. About okay, <laughs> one, one right. They're all so horrible to her. Yeah, they yeah, all that, they all joke constantly yeah. about how she's like a baby or whatever, and you're like, she clearly is not okay with this. Yeah, Why are you doing yeah, this? I thought that that didn't chime with the yeah, it didn't. It did not land. The, the movie, yeah. yeah, exactly, didn't land well. Other point, I could not believe that they left her name as Sprite in this movie. And everyone's running around going, Sprite, Sprite! I'm like, what, are you thirsty? <laughs> there was, the, the first time I think it was mentioned is 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 a Kid Harrington line where he's like, yeah, you turn in water into coffee and Sprite something something. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> really threw me off. Good point. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm done. I feel the same way about that movie series that revisited people every seven years. Um, Richard <laughs> Madden as Icarus. Um, Interesting. So, um, is he the main problem with this movie? Uh, so he's he's. I disagree. He's kind. So the the Icarus vibe is when he is uh, when he is like a, just a godlike eternal at the start is just. He's Superman, right? He's mm-hmm. yeah, but like yeah. with the vibe of Doctor Manhattan. Superman. Yes. Mm. What if not the what if Superman? Superman. Yeah, no, was it dumb. does. It does have a real like. This is a this is a DC graphic novel. What if Superman was this? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. and then it, so he obviously has the whole Cersei romance. I I, I couldn't quite understand why he had just disappeared and wasn't hanging about with her anymore. I didn't I never really felt like the movie convincingly told me why that had happened. Um and and yeah, I, I kind of I, I struggled to buy into that romance for for you know, for all those reasons I said at the start. And I was kind of pro Richard Madden when he was cast in this. I don't I, I, feel, I I'm not I, I'm not even sure whether it's that he's bad or whether it just feels like he's miscast for this character. I kind of feel like the more interesting way to have gone here would have been to cast someone who looks like one of the Chris's. <laughs> he, he he doesn't look unlike one of the Chris's. Yeah. I feel. Yeah, I think. That's I don't right. know if I'm not. I don't. I, I don't think he's. I, I guess I don't, I don't <clears throat> think he is. Square, as, as, Be careful what you say here, Joe. <laughs> I don't think he's as square-jawed and buff as them. And uh, You're crazy. What are you talking jaw. about? Which, I which, I would which take Richard, Richard Madden's jaw over. are you looking at? Yeah, yeah I would take Richard <laughs> Madden over. His head is entirely square. I guess... Uh, For me, I, th- I thought he looked like Sebastian Sten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah, I, I, Richard, I, I, Richard I, I, Madden see... just does have the vibe to me more of supporting actor rather than lead he does he does <laughs> he does have that bucky rather than superman vibe to him and i and i and i honestly i think you know he also has the vibe of 
of the two British hotties, he's the one who's killed off in season three rather than making it all the way to the end. <laughs> or he's Yeah, but he's the one you actually like and you're like, I wish he hadn't died and I have to watch freaking John Snow agree. all the time. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree in Game of Thrones. <laughs> but there is just, I just think Richard Mann has a bit of that vibe that when when it became clear where that character was going, I was like, mm. oh yeah, that, yeah, that that makes more sense. And I, you know, this is a weird. I don't know if this is a weird comment, but I think that to, to have him do his Scottish accent, yeah, and to have him with the facial hair and the white strand in his hair, all of those things, yeah. they code they code a less kind of generically. Uh, you, you, I think almost with this character, you want to you want to code it as like Superman. like the boys, right? Uh, and then you, yeah, exactly, exactly, right. That's and then you, t- and then you at. twist. I right. need to make it clear. But, but, I think Richard choices... Madden is really, really hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just in a, in in like in the same way that you know, like I I wouldn't have felt that Kamel was what right for the Icarus right. role. I don't think that right. Richard Madden's right for it. I think you almost do want to cast Chris Pine, you know. <laughs> And then have him turn in that in that in that later stage. Yeah, and, and, or just, or just... And kind of and kind of weirdly do what Agents of Shield. I'm going to give Agents of Shield credit here, mm. but like have the have the 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 kind of douchey square drawed bro of the team mm. turn out to be the dick. You know, mm-hmm. like that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're not alone. I've seen a lot of people say that they find both leads, as in um, Richard Madden and Gemma Chan, to be pretty wooden in this movie. <laughs> I. I to me Richard Madden is not the problem. I actually think everything he's doing that feels distanced or detached feels purposeful to me. Like it feels like a, a mm-hmm. an acting choice for a Dr. Manhattan type character as opposed to an actor who is not connecting to the material. Yeah. Um I really liked this whole thread of like everyone just kind of casually being like, "Oh yeah, Icarus should be the leader." Like I thought that was actually very insightful for how sometimes in a group dynamic it's like, yeah, this person fits the look of what we think of as a leader, so we'll all just kind of be like, you know, there's that funny moment where he's like, I could lead the Avengers. Like that seems like something I'd be good at. And I was like shocked by the turn where it turns mm. out he's evil. I thought that was really cool and like bold and yeah. to make the ultimate villain be like all the things you're saying like, oh, I wish that it had been <laughs> If it, I wish it had worked. Like for me, it did work. It did feel like here is the square jawed, you know, emotionally removed but very moral center, who then turns out to have motivations and goals that are tire- entirely at odds with like what we think of as being good. But I... then also the like love story that would stop him from actually becoming a villain. I don't know. All of that really worked for me. I thought that twist was good when it happened in Invincible. And when it happened in this, I was like, "Okay, Marvel Universe does Omni Man, fair enough." I, I, I guess as well. So the the thing that I struggle with is the twist that comes is is, and his point of view is, no, we just have to do our job. Do you not understand? This is our job. We need to do our job. So he's not evil. He's just a. He's just a cop. He's just a yeah. He's just a fastidious <laughs> bureaucrat who's like, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is our job. Why doesn't anyone else get that? And again, like, I kind of feel like the more interesting villain turn, the kind of thing that you see in Black Panther would be to go, no, we have to do this, and I'm going to act like a dick about it, and I'm going to go about it the wrong way and kill our leader. But do you not understand? You're arguing to save these six billion people when we are talking about 
a galaxy's worth of people and potentially more like what should like let's have that debate what do you mean you want to kill a celestial that's fucking crazy like what what, what are we doing <laughs> that, here the... like have him have him make that argument the only person that really makes that argument is kingo and he does it for one minute and just walks away he's like look i maybe think that killing a celestial is bad but i'm not going to try and stop it i'm just going to go but 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 um icarus's argument is not it's it, it's it's not really logical it's not a logical one it, to your point mm-hmm. like kingo is kingo is uh kingo holds that role in the in the plot his is an emotional his is an emotional one icarus is with because he he loves cersei and and i think to to caroline and joe's point uh, that's the that's the problem it's not it's not the it's not the it's not the writing of that character or the or the kind of the reasoning of that argument for him. It, it's that you as an audience either do or don't, or you have to buy that he would change his his position because of that relationship. And and, and perhaps that gets to Caroline's point about the actual the, the performance the performance issue is not with him. It's more with her. And and maybe you know maybe we can move on to her. But but uh, I kind of it's it's that dynamic. It's the two of them off each other and 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 mm-hmm. i do think there's that there's that there's that shot of him with i can't remember when it happens but you know with tears in his eyes or you know sort of misty eyed to really towards the very end of the movie where he you know he's going to do a he's going to make he's going to change his mind or, or make a choice and i remember thinking like i do i am with i am with you for this richard madden um but it's just that i didn't i wasn't with the two of them together and their dynamic with 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 one another uh so I- I think there's, a, yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with his performance. I just think it's a, a case of miscasting for me. Um, mm. And I'll just say this quickly and open the floor. Gemma Chan is Cersei. I, um, I really like the performance. I think it, it, it's what? the most human of all of them. I think it no! has, what? I, I, I thought That's it crazy. was the one. I thought she did allow me to connect to this movie in some way that few of the others did. And um, she's one of the most beautiful women in the world. Um, so, ah, so, so Joe, Joe, come, yeah, you you guys pick up the mantle now. She walked around this movie with the sort of rarefied detachment of a supermodel, just being like, oh, "Everything's great. My life is amazing. All these little people are fantastic," but with like zero charisma attached to that. Like, I didn't get any warmth from that performance. Hmm. I just thought she felt like a human being. <laughs> that's, that, that's, what, that's what I like. She felt at least like a human being out of any of the, <laughs> any of the characters in the cast. <laughs> she felt most like a robot, I'll give her that. <laughs> Which is uh, appropriate. <laughs> For someone who was in humans, yeah. Um, yeah... I, I couldn't decide. I want to like Gemma Chan. I want to root for her. And I was really happy to see her get a second chance after her really, like, nothing part <laughs> in Captain Marvel. Uh, I, I can't tell here if this is a thin performance or a thinly sketched character. But I I did feel like she was not the most magnetic part. I don't really feel like there were any criminally weak links in the entire bunch. That's just really my take. But... But I, I didn't get a ton off of her. I just don't. I just cannot. Thinking back to yesterday, find that much in the performance that I could latch onto. Mm. 
Mm. I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I would actually say sometimes there's an actor who's just miscast for a role. And that's more the problem than them giving a bad performance. I actually think Gemma Chan is perfectly cast for this role and that I think her vibe is like, you just get it. Like she, at least to me, she's, she feels like she's very empathetic, but she's kind of internal. She has this like overlooked middle sister quality so that when she becomes (laughs) elevated to the leader, you're like, whoa, this is just not the, like, this is the kind of girl that sits in the corner reading a book like she doesn't feel like she's an authority figure in a conventional way which i think is actually one of the more subversive things that this movie's doing again with like mm-hmm. female power and ajak was also feminine but in a way that felt more authoritative so they would were willing to listen to her but then when it time comes time for another leader everyone's like well obviously it should be icarus like cersei's just kind of this <laughs> forgotten girl um but even though I think Gemma Chan gives off that vibe perfectly, I don't actually think the performance itself is hugely compelling. And I think especially when the third act, which gets pretty confusing with the plotting, but the third act really hinges on this completely silently conveyed moment where she decides to go from their original plan of just putting the celestial to sleep temporarily to sort of stall the problem halfway through that battle she decides like no i'm actually going to full-on kill the celestial and like choose to save earth and that's a moment that moment of decision just has to fully silently happen on Gemma chan's face and it really wasn't even Mm -hmm. until my second viewing that i understood when that decision happened and i think (laughs) some of that's the problem with the screenplay but i also think a stronger actor probably could have sold that moment better than I think what Chan's able to do. I agree. <laughs> I, I think also, I, I think that's a big problem with the final act and like her arc generally, you get this thing where she, at the start of the film, she's like, no, I'm not that powerful. I can't use my powers on living stuff. And then she does. And that's feels like a big moment when it happens, but they never really follow up on why or where that has come from. Like, is this, has she reached that level of power because she's been powered up? Or is it something interior to her that's happened? Like, I didn't really understand what was... They never... Yeah, they never never address it. They dropped a line that she, when she goes to touch, when she actually touches the celestial Tiamat, Mm -hmm. who I kept thinking of as Tafiti from Moana, because it's like the same (laughs) island setup. When she touches Tafiti, she, like, gets a power jolt from him, because the way that the Eternals normally work is, like, when the Earth, whatever planet they're on is being destroyed, they like, they can get zapped up by the celestial. So it's like... The Celestial joins their yeah, Unimind, and that pa- powers she, her up. She already has more power from when she turns the Deviant into a tree. Yeah, so it's already happened. Oh, yeah. I took that as she had just been, like, a Jean Grey type of thing, where it's like, mm. I am limiting, I am, like, self-limiting my powers, not even yeah, realizing sure. that's what I'm doing, which I actually find to be a great and relatable archetype. Like, I love sci-fi that's about that particularly women that yeah. are just like i don't know what to do with my internal power so i'm just <laughs> denying it and then it's sort of like eventually bursting out of me well that's the thing like i like i like that story and i love that archetype but i don't feel like it was executed well and her performance didn't convince me and the script didn't convince me i think what the, you the just... thing that frustrated me most in the arc was that so and and, and like this this kind of spans across her and ajak is she and us as an audience get that entire plot download in the middle of the film where she where she communes with Arisham. And then we don't really watch her struggle with it. We just watch her go back and tell the mm. team and then them start to talk about it. 
and I, I kind of was thinking the same thing with Ajax. Like, could we have combined those two things into one where there was a character who was struggling with this knowledge and then imparted it? And then we watched kind of the struggle of whether to impart it or not and what to do about it. And, and like, because surely, like, even her deciding to tell the rest of the team is a is a big decision to make in that moment and we just cut we hmm. just cut to it because the only the i only, like that the only sequence we really have in the movie of 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 you know sort of chloe Zhao trying to stylize uh a character going through a moment is you know probably is um uh icarus towards the end right and you know you get the moment where he's 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 having to choose between uh, between Arisham and um, and Cersei, and then you get the flashback montagey thing with him and her, and and but that but you know she doesn't really do that. Chloe Zhao, I mean, doesn't really doesn't really do doesn't do that move at any other point in the movie, and I wonder whether yeah whether sort of that that's 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 a, that's a bit of a cheap tool. Yes, sure, you know, to sort of like hey, I'm gonna just gonna cut in a load of sequences from other bits of this story. To, to explain what's going on in this character at this point, it is cheap, but it works. And and maybe Chloe Zhao could have, you know, stooped to that level of cheapness in, in other moments of the movie, to, just to make us feel some of these some of these moments mm-hmm. a bit more. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I think, and this might be the moment to bring up my transition into Druid because I think he's the only character we have left. (laughs) But I think Chloe Zhao's weakness as a director in this movie in particular is her physical blocking of actors Mm -hmm. in relation to one another. She's very Mm -hmm. enamored with this idea of people standing in interesting tableaus, almost like (laughs) you'd see on a comic book page. And I know that Chloe Zhao is like a big comic book fan and and like anime fan. And I feel like she's maybe drawing from this very visual tradition of just people standing in interesting places. You know, like the love of <laughs> Cersei and Icarus is conveyed through them, like standing, po- almost like just posing. Mm. But I think that particularly in superhero movies, like this is something I always go back to. There's that scene in Avengers where it's just Black Widow and Hawkeye sitting in the recovery room and literally just the way they're sitting, the casual way they're sitting yeah. together, super closely, but like with no tension. You're like, oh, these two people are best friends. Like you just immediately get that. And I think Chloe Zhao struggles to use blocking in a way to convey character, except for the connection between Makari and Druig, Mm. which I think is super lived in and immediately conveys that relationship. And the fascinating thing I found out about in reading about this movie is that that was not scripted. Those two (laughs) actors just had that dynamic. And Chloe Zhao was like, I love this dynamic. I want to put it in the movie. Mm, And I'm like, yeah, that's why that dynamic feels alive, because that was not something she created in a tableau it is something that's authentic and i wish she had like allowed the other actors to find their own physicality in a way that i think could have done a lot of the heavy lifting for her with these other relationship dynamics the character description of druig on the wikipedia page uh is the shortest of all of them it just simply says an aloof eternal who can (laughs) manipulate the minds of others oh Fucking love, love Druig, you guys. Druig, so good. Anyone else not have Druig as their I'm, favorite turn? I'm He's the best. baffled by. I'm baffled by this. He, <laughs> that guy. That guy is a dick. No, he's not in a fun way. The, in a potentially dangerous yeah, way. That's what I liked. About it. Like he was. He was oh, like. The energy. He was what cool I. Way. He was what I wanted an Eternal to be, which is mm. which mm. is kind of like philosophically concerned with like 
I want to stop the bad things that's happening to these people, and you're telling me I can't. But also, I am a, I am kind of a god who is among, uh, above all of this. And when we meet him in the present day, is just like, I don't know, I can't be fucked anymore, you guys. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that dynamic. That doesn't make him my favorite character. That makes him for yeah, me like the one to watch out for. My favorite either. I just want. I was baffled actually by looking on the internet after I saw Eternals and seeing like all these teenage girls going like, "Are Druid so hot?" I'm like, "No, you're insane. Stay away from that man. He is a bad time." Oh, but don't you don't you like think that that again the Makari element of it? You're like, yeah. you, you you see him kind of like humanize every time she's around and soften. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I I want to I want to watch the version of that character who is pulled in those two different directions, and um and, and I want to spend I want to see those two characters spend time with each other. But also, yeah, I, I mean, let, I agree, let, he's well rounded and well realized. Let's I mean, let's like let's stop bullshitting. It's it's nothing about the character on the page Such and the script. The character. It's just all oh. performance. It's Barry Keegan, <laughs> but but it's not. But it's sort of. It's not. You know, he's not smouldering like off of off of the screen. Like he does fit. That's the magic, right? He fits within the film. He fits within the character set. He fits within the, the ensemble. But he's just every time the camera lands on him and he starts speaking, he's the most magnetic magnetic yeah. performer in the entire film. And that's every, every line reading, every single line, every word. Uh, and, I love it. Um, agree. <laughs> <laughs> I want Ned to break the tie of if Druig is the best or a just middling. Uh, he's quite good. I, I, I thought that I thought the the way he fits into everything. I, I think that I am most excited about Thena. I find Thena's whole deal really fun, but uh, but I I really like how Druig fits in there, and I really like the sort of ambiguity where towards the middle. Like when he has that dramatic exit and he walks down the temple, mm-hmm. uh, I thought he was being teed up to become yeah. the villain of the film. I For thought sure. it was going to be like, which I guess is intentional since we mm-hmm. all sort of felt that way, or or either that or a very clumsy mistake. But I I also felt like not much is made of that story in the final act. I mean that that was sort of my complaint that I alluded to very early on is that I was most interested as we were getting everyone set up I was most interested in Thena's Madwiri and uh, and Druig's sort of like disillusionment with the entire Eternals project and, um, and I felt that neither of those really came to that's, the final that's, act but I did I find it really compelling. what I liked about him in, in that final act was that he was like I guess him, him and Fastos are the are the are the two that are similar. Where they are, um, two characters who really wanted to care about humanity, and the rest of them drove them to be ambivalent and take a step back. And suddenly, they're then at the end being told, "No, we we need you to care again." And it's like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I, I I tried <laughs> to do this two thousand years ago. What's what's going on here? Um. But yeah, I just, I just thought There's... Barry Keegan was just yeah immensely compelling anytime he was on screen, and partic- I particularly loved, which we are also going to need to talk about the final character we need to talk about in that post-credit sequence. I love how he was just on the ship, like, oh, I, I, I okay. <laughs> 
right? Not 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 even like I'm pissed off by this or I'm annoyed or I or, or like he was like, "Good, I'm having a dunk." Yeah, he was like, "Oh, he was like, <laughs> okay, what's happening now? Sure, okay, fine." I just, I just, yeah, I I thought he was kind of like pitch perfect in performance the whole way through. The the energy the energy is is I, I you just I, there's nobody else giving that there's nobody in in that 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 the line readings the the energy he gives it it feels just kind of unique yeah. you know it's, it's just kind of a unique screen presence which is yeah. which is quite rare it's just quite rare you know and I, I I think again that it's like he fits really nicely into the ensemble and I love that the ensemble I just love that this movie did manage <laughs> to sell me on all ten characters and mm. that you know having him. In there, having all these different types, where you know, in the way, sorry to see to keep mentioning the X Men, which must irritate James a lot, but the <laughs> the way in which, like, when you like, if you're someone who just jumps into an X Men comic, you're like, mm. you're suddenly presented with all these options. Yeah. You're going to like zero in on this little line from this little the, uh, person, and I just think it's an extremely fun dynamic, and I, you know, I can't wait to see what they continue to do with them. There is that there is that line at the end where like Druig when, when Druig bonks Sprite on the head in the final sequence and says Funny. to Cersei, you know, like, ah, oh, th- oh, this is your fight now. And you're like, well, that's, you know, that's not a big hero line. Like, what do you mean? That's, this is your fight now. The, the, you know, have you really like transferred the, the, some kind of thematic sort of fight against, against somebody from you to her? Like that, you know, there are in that last sequence, there are hero lines that I think, if you if you think about them too much, like are complete nonsense, like complete nonsense, including that one. I think it's a fun subversion that when this movie starts, you're like, yeah, Druig is the I don't know why I keep going back to Doctor Manhattan, but he's like the detached one that's most likely to become a villain. Mm-hmm. And then I think mm-hmm. it's a really fun subversion that actually Icarus, the Superman, yeah. is the one that becomes the villain, and Druig is the one that's like actually just pretty good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he was he was running a cult in the Amazon. He's not like. Yeah. Not like the golden child. Well, I don't know yeah. if you guys. I don't know if you guys agree. I, I was talking about this with the people I saw the movie with. The I don't think the Eternals like particularly analog onto the X Men or um, the Avengers. I think they analog onto uh, the Justice League. Yeah, hundred percent. No, sure, sure. So if Icarus is Superman and uh, if the Amphena is Wonder Woman and uh, Fastos is Green Lantern and, as, and as, as is canonical is the Flash, in the movie, Druig... Karen is Alfred. Is Alfred Shaw, <laughs> and I think Druig Sorry. forget his power set. I think, and, and I think that's why part of why this character works. I think Druig is kind of Batman. I don't yeah, know what I you guys agree. think about that? Mm. Like that's I that's agree, the, yeah. forget the power set. That's the vibe. That's the the, the way yeah. moody, the team, right? Moody yeah. and controlling. Yeah, yeah. And people sure. and spoiler alert, people fucking love Batman, and I fucking love <laughs> Druig. <laughs> He's cool as hell. Right. Let's talk about the other post-credit scene. So we've got Druig, Makari, and Fina on the spaceship. So, they, so all your faves. So the, the, should we talk about the end of the film yeah, first, well, Josh? I guess you we know. can. We've talked about it a lot, but I guess that so the status quo at the end of the movie is that Cersei Fastos. And Sprite and Kingo. No, no. Yeah, I don't think Sprite's included, is she? No, it's just Kingo. So those three are because Sprite's a human. Those three are zapped out (laughs) into space with by Arishem, who is like, you chose to save these people. Now we will decide whether they were worth saving. I think he says your memories will will dictate Mm -hmm. whether they were saved. He he zaps them up, off, and away. 
Um, Icarus mm-hmm. is dead. He uh, he flew into the sun. Um, <laughs> Wild. Wait, do you think he's dead? Briefly, when he flew into the sun, I was dead? like, I hope he's dead. No, I think he cannot be dead because then that that or he's the first Marvel superhero to off himself at the end of the movie, which is just an insane. Thing. I, mean, I, yeah, I think I it's ambiguous. Think he's dead. Yeah, I think yeah. it's ambiguous. Yeah. Well, can I, I think... also bring up? We keep saying, "Oh, these people are done." Everybody's coming back for flashbacks, right? Oh, like we, yeah, we yeah, have yeah. seven thousand years yeah, of history yeah, yeah. that they're going to yeah, explore. So all the actors are coming back. There's also this idea that they're all robots. So presumably they can just build a new <laughs> exactly. robot version if they like want a new Icarus that doesn't have that baggage. It's like, oh, we yeah. activated another android of his body. Hmm. <laughs> they probably got like three can or I... four different ways of bringing all these characters back. I just, I just want to quickly say, I don't think they're literally robots. I think they're more like the Cylons in that they are flesh machines yeah. sure yeah yeah Androids. sounds like a robot to me James. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, sounds fine, like fine. something a robot would say. <laughs> they're all like they're flesh machines they're all like yeah. clockwork though right? i mean that image of them all well, no, no, like, i think i think activated. i think that image of of the cersei being constructed was sort of metaphorical more than literal okay uh, I want them to be actually like clockwork. Okay. But... I think if you <laughs> cut if you cut open an eternal, I don't think it's gears inside. No, I like that's disappointing cogs, to me. Cogs still out. <laughs> I like that. It's like a clicking sound. The idea <laughs> The idea of Icarus flying off into space in shame made sense for me. The reveal that he was literally flying into the sun <laughs> truly yeah, made me laugh I, out loud. Just, like what an app like what I a had drama that line queen. From Hamilton just 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 echoing around my mind yeah. that entire time. Yeah. Like yeah, I mean Icarus. Like the dude definitely has a flair for the dramatic. Like, this Icarus myth has <laughs> yeah. been created around him, and he's like, ha, ah, yeah. I've got an idea. <laughs> My just, girlfriend's just trying to get attention, I'm flying man. away into the sun. But anyway, so, so the, the, the status quo at the end of the movie with the Ten Eternals is three of them are dead. Three of them have been taken off. Well, oh, sorry. Well, three of them are presumed dead. Three of them have been taken off by uh, Arisham. Arisham. One of them is a human now, and the other three are on this spaceship going go, going off into space. And the Domo. They are on their big triangle spaceship, and then some. It's so and then cool. Someone uh, appears, and the the first person we see is um, Pip the Pip Troll, the troll uh, who is a, a character that we've talked about in this pod- <laughs> on this podcast before because we speculated that God, maybe the... that's who Peter Dinklage was playing in uh, in Infinity War. We did the weariness, yeah. the weariness then, in James's he, he's, voice, and then they're like, <laughs> then they're like, the if you don't think we've scraped the barrel right, enough, okay. so Pip the Troll is voiced by Patton Oswalt. Um, the I thought the CG of that character was a. a fucking abomination and i can't i can't <laughs> believe that that is uh, i'm hoping that they just did a cheap like mock-up for this post-credit sequence and that it does make howard the duck look uh, yeah <laughs> and <laughs> then he does Which he one? does this whole like build up <laughs> there are flashing lights there's this there's this figure walking down the hallway and he's like he's this he's that it's like and and you're like whoa who is this gonna be and then he's like he's the brother of thanos and i'm like you fucking what mate oh who's the and, uh, <laughs> and, and then he pops out and it's only bloody harry styles isn't it it's harry styles um i'm just now realizing this makes him um gamora and nebula's uncle right like mm-hmm. that's a fun dynamic Ooh, wow. to so um, James, think... explain a comic book concept that I don't understand. Eros <laughs> slash Star Fox. They should. Ju- he should just go by Star Fox. That's much cooler. Yeah, 
Um, okay, so he is the prince of Titan. He's uh, Thanos' brother. Um, James, 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 he, James, James. He James, has... James. Go on. That's important stuff. Why ain't he purple? Why ain't he purple? <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, Thanos, right? question too. Eternals are not supposed to breed. Thanos uh, was an attempt, or the first attempt, rather, to like create a half eternal half deviant that's why he what? is purple <laughs> that's why he's purple because he he is, oh and, de- and, has and genetic- the deviant crow was kind of a bit purpley wasn't he oh. yeah he has the genetic markers of both deviants and what, eternals is that when it's on, is there huh? a it's no, they sit in, like, a machine and get their DNA okay. combined or some bollocks. Um, are Titans the same thing? I thought Thanos was Yeah, no, the, the Titans are the... The full name of the Titans is the Eternals of Titan. Oh. As opposed oh. to the Eternals of Earth, who we've been looking at. Right? Oh. Star Fox has emotion-manipulating powers, which basically means he goes around, like, space-roofing people into falling in love with him. <laughs> Extremely problematic character... Good choice, Harry Styles. Yeah. Yes. Wait, wait. Why is is Harry Styles problematic? Because everyone loves him. Oh yeah, I I I I was just saying, not that he. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not because not because he's roofing people. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, but you know, it's probably good. He's and because he was a bit of a because he was a bit of a dick in Dunkirk, so I can. Believe <laughs> I just wanted um, to make sure that we weren't cancelling him. Yeah. No. the The two not things today. the two things I have to point out about this sequence. One, if. Thanos was my brother, I would not be announcing that to people when I turned up into rooms. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you would not be like, ladies and gentlemen, the brother of Jimmy Savile. Like, you just you just wouldn't. You would want to cover that. Especially when they don't even look alike. It's not like, oh, I right? need to get ahead of <laughs> yeah. this so that people are going to spot it. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's not a good thing to talk about. The other thing is, right, a, a big chunk of this movie is predicated on the idea that Eternals did not interfere in previous events because that was all human slash non-Eternal business. Thanos, Thanos is an Eternal. So they could have intervened. Well, did they know he was an Eternal? Though? They, like, did, they did not. To, oh. Not to go did for they, like, did, but, you know, movie dickhead on YouTube or something. But, but James, <laughs> they didn't know that there were other Eternals in other worlds, did they? It's bollocks if they didn't know. Like they know where everyone, every other Eternal on the planet is. Without GPS, without mobile phones, they just turn up and they're like, here's a random shack in the middle of the desert. I know my mates here. Why do they not know who the other Eternals are? Okay, well, I will say just from this movie alone, I did not get from this movie that either Thanos or Eros were Eternals. Yeah, that, that may not be part of the Eternal because he's do. wearing, he's wearing yeah, the gear. They do say yeah. that he's an Eternal Eros. Yeah. Oh. He wow. does. But about Thanos, I don't know. They may be... Well, they've just said he's his brother, <laughs> they, they so I don't know how that would this. work. But yeah, yeah, I, don't, I was Than- going to say Thanos, that may not I mean, be how could they... Them. Look at how they look! How could they just be both... <laughs> That's just, the thing. That's the thing. just like, came out their, of the same mom? What are you talking whole, about? Their whole position, like, that is... That's non-eternal business. Makes no sense, because they can't even distinguish themselves what is eternal business and what isn't. Okay, can I, can I just talk yeah. about Harry Styles being cast as the... Yeah. He sucks in this scene. It's bad. It's, he is bad in this scene, and uh, and we don't know. No, no, Harry Styles <laughs> is great casting for uh, right. No, Harry Styles, okay. Um, okay. I think, is I, I you know he he may very well be a a bad actor. I don't know. I don't think he's bad in uh, in Dunkirk. I think he's kind of fine in that. 
But I just, I, for me, it was that grin as he walked into the room with that with that costume on being I am the guy who just fucks his way around the galaxy and everyone <laughs> loves me and like Ooh. I was like yeah y- you've nailed that casting that is that is exactly like Harry, <laughs> Harry Styles is perfect for that this kid who just uh, like suddenly at age 16 Finds out that the entire world wants to fuck him on a on a on a reality TV <laughs> show, like to the point to the point that like one of the hosts of the show, who was a full decade older than him, started dating him immediately. Like I, I don't know if you I don't know if you remember this, but One Direction finished second on the X Factor. <laughs> when they won, the mics picked up Harry Styles leaning over to the winner and whispering in his ear, you're going to get so much pussy. Like, this is a kid of six... Uh, and, like, and and then just the vibe of this guy who, as he's grown up, has, has just, like, you know, has done the celebrity dating scene and I think has kind of, like, slowly morphed into Mick Jagger, where, like, he, cl- he, he, and he <laughs> yeah. clearly has musical talent. He has this... Um, this androgyny that he really leans into and i just think that casting is 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 kind of great it feels weird at the end of this movie i think if this scene had to come at the end of guardians of the galaxy three like fuck yeah that makes a load Mm -hmm. of sense but you know maybe I, i who knows whether he is actually there to play a big part in the eternals or whether his his future is elsewhere but i i like it also you just, I just don't need know. To say this quickly, Harry Styles, big Green Bay Packers fan. So just to bring things full circle, <laughs> I don't, I don't, his, I don't know his immunization status, but big Packers fan, and I feel like someday Harry and I are going to bond over that. <laughs> Here's hoping. No, yeah, I was, I was going to say, I just, you, you don't know quite. I feel like early on in the Marvel movies when things were sort of self-contained, it's like, oh, uh, Iron Man shows up in the end of the Hulk. That means the Hulk and Iron Man will team up in a subsequent movie. And now it's like there's just you – know, we get a tease of Harry Styles here. We get uh, obviously the whole Dane Whitman thing. We have Disney Plus shows. We have specials on Disney Plus. We have movies. I just don't – I don't really know how to process them anymore. It's mm-hmm. And I feel like there are things like – didn't we get like a whole sequence with like another gang of Ravagers, like the Stallone Ravagers yeah. we got in <laughs> Guardians Two? That I'm like, mm-hmm. I just really don't know if we're no, ever going to see them Yeo again. Was them or was then cast in uh, exact... Shang-Chi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So uh, now it's just like I see Harry Styles come out. I'm like, oh, this is a funny little uh, thing, but I have no idea how to process it and what to expect I to think see he's and when. Be a thing in this universe. I think Harry Styles is super fun casting into all of that. I think that I my my main hope is that someone looks at his half-hearted attempt to do an American (laughs) accent in this scene and says, no, 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 we are not going to make the mistake we made with Stephen Strange and Valkyrie. We are going to let you use your natural accent, which everyone loves and you are super charismatic with, and not force you to do something else. That's my main hope. He's going to have the same accent as Josh Brolin because, you know. I think the the casting the casting on a meta level is is beautiful and I love it, Joe. I agree that this scene sucked and but I'm still I'm kind of I'm still pro Harry Styles as as space magic uh, 
sex wizard Star Fox, uh, but just not not in this film, not in that scene. Uh, but I'm but let's see what happens. Next. I'm more excited to see that character than I am to see Dane Whitman. Certainly, yeah. Uh, oh, I think I for me that 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 last that you know we've talked about it a bit already, you know, but that I don't know that. The, that last, that the, the second post credit scene, it kind of scratched. Um, it, it felt like it was opening up different, different corners of the MCU than than previous. You know, I feel like again, <laughs> the Harry Styles scene, it's like, oh, this is like a Guardian scene, or we've seen the Eternals and Spaceship thing. The Dan Whitman thing, even though he's Kit Harrington, he's boring. It's a fucking sword. It's a voice. It would just to me, to me, I think I was more excited from that scene because it felt like. You know what? What this feels new, and this this feels. Uh, I'm intrigued now by what what this possibly could be, and what characters can be involved. For me, In I would happily. Both the post credits scenes. I think I would have enjoyed them more if it felt like the movie itself had an ending. Like I actually, <laughs> yeah. I really think it's, it's semi disastrous. Yeah, to take this complicated movie with all this yeah. mythology and it's trying to reach an emotional endpoint. <laughs> feels like the endpoint should be Cersei deciding, you know, she's like, I don't quite want to be human. I don't, but I, you know, I don't want to just be an eternal. And I like have to forge yeah. my new path. Should have just find some interesting image of her, like, you know, interacting with a child or handing someone, you know, a cool object again or whatever. Find some sort of emotional endpoint to end with. Mm. To end with three of your characters <laughs> yeah, getting lifted into the sky by a god. So the god saying, I'm going to do something with you. And they go away. <laughs> and then it's not like in you know sometimes the spider-man movies will do like a cliffhanger and then the post credit scene sort of like you know touch on it again to end with a massive cliffhanger (laughs) then have two entirely divergent (laughs) post credit scenes that are introducing wild new elements to the world this was this was really the first time i was like oh yeah that thing people say about marvel movies that they're all just commercials for the next one is completely true like that was very frustrating to me you, you really articulated well why yeah, it came out of this yeah. movie thinking when the fuck just happened <laughs> i mean the, the post credit sequence so the, the final yet, five minutes so... plus the two post credit sequences really really do leave you in a what <laughs> also i just can't believe that we are at this stage in the mcu and the amount of people that stood up and walked out after the first post credit sequence in my screening. Like, what <laughs> yeah. are you doing? Amateurs. But on the other hand, like, if you don't care about this shit, do you care about looking, watching Kit Harrington look at a sword? If Maybe you, you're just I like, this isn't for like... me. Like, I'll see it when it's in a movie. I'm not going to, like, I'm pretty invested <laughs> yeah. in this stuff, and I did not get a lot yeah, out of Kit Harrington looking at a sword. It's for 156 minutes. What's 157? <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Maybe they had to pee. It was a long movie. <laughs> That's true. I I could happily never see either of those characters again. As far as I'm concerned, they have the they have the stink of 1970s Marvel all over them, and I don't like it. Okay. Um, any final thoughts on Eternals, or should we uh, should we should we wrap it up there? I think we have. I think we've com- comfortably exceeded the 157 minutes ourselves. <laughs> uh, I liked Gemma Chan's powers. That's all I want to say. I thought they were quite fun. Yeah, they I like the cool. visual where she turns the bus into Rose Petal. It is it lucky me. that bus was empty. Yeah. Sure, that could have been a disaster. <laughs> yeah, that was so funny. That was all so funny. All the people funny. just flying through the Rose <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I thought that was really neat. 
I think for people that were on the fence with their first viewing of this movie, as I kind of was, I I think more so than any other Marvel movie I've watched, it really did benefit from a second viewing. So, you know, if you want to just wait and when it comes on Disney Plus, you you were sort of like, I was kind of into that, but I'm not sure. I think give it a second watch. It's a lot of it becomes much clearer on a second viewing. We might not get James, but the the way I'm going to rewatch Eternals is in 20 minute chunks over the course of a week. I really think this this movie, and, and uh, I'm not going to compare these two directly, but uh, like probably a few of us on this pod, I've, I've been listening to the John Carpenter Blank Check miniseries over the last few months, and there's such a running thread of, of those of those movies as they came out were so critically uh, disliked, and things have you know they've, they've thought been thought of as classics in, in our time. And I'm not saying Eternals is that, but I really do feel like this is a movie that will get uh, critically reconfigured over time. And I think, um, I'm not saying that the critics now got it wrong, but it, it, yeah, it just feels like a film that it has, has got a depth of, I'm not not saying it's like the most, the most interesting film with the most depth of themes, but, there's just you know across across all layers, right? The kind of the, the style of it, the performances, the the way it works in the in the context of today. I, they all have all those things have a depth to it that I think hasn't quite been um, uh, seen in in some of some of those reviews. I do I do think that they will they will change over time. I think. Uh, yeah. I my agree. my final thought is that. After a couple of Marvel movies where I've come out thinking, oh, I didn't didn't really hate that, I didn't love it. It's good for me to come out of a film thinking, I have a lot to say about that and not necessarily mm. in a good way. Because at least it means they're trying mm. something new. True. Mm. Yeah, they, uh, it definitely feels different. And I think that's... I, I think that's a positive. I said this, you know, months ago. Like, I kind of, kind of, in a way, hoped that Marvel would be delivering a, a, a big old flop just to see how, to see how <laughs> they deal with it and the, and what it would mean for the difference in their approach. And I and I, you know, I do think this feels different. I don't think it is radically radical, radically different. It still has some of that Marvel trapping inside of it, um, but. Yeah, I'd 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 prefer I'd prefer swings, and this this is definitely a swing. If you look, you know, you look forward at Hawkeye, oh. the show, and Spider Man, and Doctor Strange. It does feel like we, we, I don't know, it feels like we know what they're going to be, and we might they might be fun, they will be fun, but I like that we've had Eternals, and it, that it, that it feels like it's been different, uh, and um, I think that's that sets up a nice. You know, a, a good a good little period now. Also, stuff. on a personal level, it's very good for me that now that everyone knows who the Eternals are, they can all agree that they suck. <laughs> <laughs> James, I was going to ask yeah. you if you've got any. Yeah, you've won the day, ask James. You if you've got any comic book <laughs> recommendations, I'm guessing no. Yeah, my recommendation is don't read the Eternals. Or actually, no, fuck it. Uh, don't read the X Men. Pick up some Jack <laughs> Kirby Eternals and read it. I I beg you. Just, just to, try it. Uh, just to vindicate. <laughs> uh, Dan Slott's She-Hulk run, there's a really good Star oh, Fox appearance in that. There we go, go right at the end, James pulls out the recommendation. I'm going to go and read it. Can I, uh, can I, uh, you know, I, I read I read the first, I don't know, a 
couple of years of Jason Aaron's recent Avengers run. And I, I found it interesting at the end of this movie with the big celestial kind of heads that emerged out of the Arctic. In the recent Aaron Avengers run, like after the first arc, they they Avengers Tower is operating out of uh, a celestial <laughs> head in the in the Arctic, right, James? Right? Is that <clears> where <throat> it is? Yeah. yeah. So 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 I wouldn't be shocked if this if 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 this movie was slightly had slightly sort of been been uh, you know um, well, that, uh, in, in, affected by that. But but that, that that's fun. That's fun stuff. In the that Avengers plot point conference. of the Earth being a celestial egg is actually from a sort of alternate future series called Earth X. Mm. That's where that idea first turns up. There you go. There we go. Okay, uh, so we move on now to our final section, which is the pitch. Uh, Reese, we're not okay. we're not going to do four of these, are we? What are we going to do? Four? <laughs> what? Four guests. Four of us. Are we going to do four? Yeah, I got I got one. All pitch four of us you, are going to answer. You, okay. answer. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, okay, yeah, this is... keep it snappy. Keep it snappy. <laughs> Okay, yeah, it, uh, this is one of the ones I've actually rarely pre-prepared. Uh, <laughs> prepared. Based on news story. Okay. <laughs> sure. So Bill Murray uh, is probably in Ant-Man 3. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, who would you like to see Bill Murray play in the MCU? Go. And I'll start with um, Caroline. It's not really me. Well, of course, with my vast knowledge of all <laughs> comic book characters, I would say... We want, we want an original Bill Murray take on a character who some people think could use more personality. Use this as an entry point into the MCU. Cast him as Cyclops. It's, it's X Men, X Men in the um, retirement home, and you got a quirky Cyclops leading them. Okay, uh, James. The uh, the only character is worth making Bill Murray play is Bill Murray. Damn, James, you took mine. <laughs> I'm happy to share it. There's no point in having Bill Murray play anyone but Bill Murray at this point. Okay. Uh, um, uh, you, I, uh, this is kind of what I expect the movie to do. Um, do what Dan Harmon wanted to do on Community and uh, cast Bill Murray as your lead character's dad. Like, Bill Murray should be Paul Rudd's dad in this movie. Does he have powers? Um, yeah. He, 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 <laughs> I taught, don't... he, he taught... Ant Man, how to do some of his magic? I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. James, are there any famous like famous Marvel magicians in the comics? Uh, Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Strange, <laughs> okay. Sorcerer Supreme, ring any he's bells? Just, yeah. just uh, okay, and then... he's, he's um, Bill Lang. And then, okay, Ned. I mean, so Joe and James's answers were terrible. So uh, <laughs> really, it's you're going against Caroline's pretty good answer, Ned. Um, uh, what do you think? Uh, I don't know why this is one of the characters that just sticking out to me, but I was like, oh, they should do Justin Hammer in the MCU. And then I remember that Ooh. they have, although I think it's kind of so-so. So Justin Hammer Sr., uh, Bill Murray, mm. as the father of Sam Rockwell. I don't know if they're working together or antagonistically, but um, he's kind uh. of the, like, the, baddie, uh, the baddie old original. It, maybe it's sort of a succession with the Hammer Industries. <laughs> now, you've, you've hit on a good point here, which is that Bill Murray should play a villain. He should be Silvermane, mm-hmm. who is a guy who <laughs> is Silverman. half turned yeah. into a robot and then becomes a talking head, who, in, in Superior Foes of Spider-Man, is put on like uh, a remote-controlled car and is well, the roommate I, of the villains. I know who I'm voting for. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I like Caroline's, but I think Ned's is sort of equally as fine, and he's the new uh, entrant into the sort of desk <laughs> universe. So I'm, Ned, I'm, Ned the, the, the win is yours. You have the win. Oh, there you go. I Rob think Ned's better than much mine, so I, I applaud <laughs> this decision. But Bill Murray Cyclops, I, that's that. There's a nonsense, and there's a chaos element to that that I do enjoy. I've got a Bubba Hotep vibe. Yeah, exactly. Like an aged, an aged Cyclops. Yeah. I mean, if we open up alternate timelines, if we can do what they did with like old Loki and all that, and you can just start to get, you know, like a Bill Murray Cyclops is now on the table. Mm. You just say like, I'm from a weird timeline. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're into the multiverse era of of MCU shit. So like, you know, Bill Murray could play anybody. Bill Murray could play Black Widow. Take swings. Could play, could play Black Panther. Like you know, it doesn't. Okay, it shut, it down. shut it down. Shut it down. He's thought long enough. He will cancel himself. Um, okay, so that was <laughs> our episode on Eternals. Um, Caroline, Ned, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, I'll, I'll listen. It was a pleasure. Go and listen to uh, Roll Calling, where you are currently working your way through the the Jeffrey Wright oeuvre. Um. <laughs> Yeah, check us out. It's a role. It's it's R O L E is how you spell the role part of role calling. <laughs> um, we have fun. Yeah, come 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 listen to uh, Joe's incredible James Bond knowledge on our on our episode. That was a really fun one to do. Uh, In some ways, Jeffrey doing... Wright on. I was going to say, are you doing French Dispatch? No, French Dispatch is not ah, going to make it on this one. Okay. Although I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Are you a fan? I saw it and I love it. It's my favorite oh, Wes Anderson great. film. Ooh, and Jeffrey Wright, Jeffrey Wright is so good in it. He's so good. We'll do a French dispatch okay. sidebar. Yeah, well, okay. maybe I'd better get that watched sooner rather than later, so we can yeah. at least give it a shout out. I was going to say that Jeffrey Wright on uh, Westworld is kind of like a proto Eternals uh, mm. character type. So you know, our audience well, may be interested. Are you doing a doing... Are you doing a Westworld? Episode? We might be. Interesting. <laughs> Curious. Let's just say yes. We'll, we'll make a new audience. Stay tuned. We're gonna do. We're gonna cover the first season of Westworld. So if that's of interest to you, come on over and listen. So yeah, yeah thank you very much for joining us, guys, listeners. Do check out Roll Calling. A pleasure. I, um, yeah, I, I I'm a listener. I was a guest. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, I should also plug our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Cinematic Universe. Uh, we just talked about Why the Last Man and Sweet Tooth on there, and we are about to start our Hawkeye read-along, which, James, I've started reading. I was so excited to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So, yeah, we're going to be talking all, about all of the uh, Fraction and Aya Hawkeye series on the Patreon before we get back to our weekly uh, recaps when Hawkeye appears on Disney+. Plus. So, look forward to that. And, obviously, you've also got the IMAX episode, which I'm going to drop as well. Just watching the extra twenty six percent on the screen. Um, yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Uh, leave us a review. That would be awesome. If you want to get on touch on Twitter, we are at Cine underscore verse. I'm at Joe Cunningham 14. James is at James Hunt. Caroline, you are at Caroline Cedar. Ned, what is your Twitter? At Ned, Ned, Ned. Four Neds. (laughs) NED four times. There we go. So that's where you can find all of us online. And I'm at Reese. Did we not say that? didn't say my one. No, he said that. Just one time. Do you know know why? Just one Reese, yeah. Who wrote that down script? (laughs) Uh, We will be back in a couple of weeks. Wait until after the credits to hear what we'll be covering. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 
PlayStation comes great Spider-Man games. Uh, Cinematic Universe will return in two weeks' time <laughs> with the Spider-Man games. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. You stupid idiot. <laughs> <sighs>